I don't think of this film as really being a science fiction film. I mean, I think the log line sort of, you know, lends itself to being a science fiction film. But in fact, and Jonathan and I were talking about this earlier, it, certainly making it and I think watching it, although I, maybe I am a little, you know, uh, I don't know, I have a different idea of it, of course. Um, but it's, it feels sort of like an experience, I think. It doesn't, I don't think it fits necessarily into a genre like a thriller or a science fiction film or a horror film. It's, um, it, it, you know, just in the same way that I think it's hard, you know, that I don't know that this film necessarily has any specific kind of morality or, you know, and these kinds of, I think, general ideas we, or labels we place on pieces of film. Um, it doesn't seem to fit within those confines, I guess. Welcome to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and revisit all the films that failed at the box office. And they may not have gotten a lot of love from the critics. This week's a little bit different. We're, we're going to the pretentious side. But you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm one of your hosts, Troy. And with me is my partner in crime, Brad. Brad, happy Monday. We're, we're recording a day late. Yeah, man. Happy Monday. I'm always pretentious. So um, that's me, pretentious Brad. Yeah, um, I've I've watched so much basketball the last four days. I'm just happy to talk about movies now. So okay, yeah, it's uh, March Madness started. I mean, spring's officially here, and gosh, I don't know how it is in 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 your part of the world. The weather has been fantastic. I've been like not watching a lot of movies and spending more time outside, <laughs> which I don't know if that's good or bad. Get that vitamin D. I know, but hey, look, a big special episode. We have one of our best friends back from the VH Files podcast. It is none other than Josh Browning. How are you this evening, Josh? I'm doing wonderful, guys. I'm glad to be back. We're happy to Hanging have out. you. Yeah, I mean, I wish the listeners could see your beard because it is amazing, <laughs> and your hat, both great A. The beard needs to be shaped up a little bit. It's it's been a while, but uh, yeah. And I got my my uh, Kevin Smith style uh, Batman baseball hat on right now, so just representing some Kevin Smith. I'm glad I'm not the only one who gets the gray in their beard. It just makes me feel sophisticated. So I'm glad you're you know making us feel smart right now. Yes, I would. I would rather just go all gray. To be honest with you, I'm tired of just all the differences my my wife would love if i went all gray as well so. silver fox <laughs> yeah well this is interesting we've got gray beards i mean the only thing we're missing for this week is monocles and some like i don't know british voice or whatever because brad you you went all pretentious on us with this week's pick right i did i went with uh 2013 slash 2014's um under the skin under um, the skin directed by a popular Music video director, I would say, more so than movie director, but uh, Jonathan Glazer. That but, is uh, accurate. What, 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 now, you and I used to do a podcast way back when in the olden days. Uh, it was a spinoff in the movie matchup where we did uh, just a set of movies and we called it Movie Matchup The Pretension. Would this be something that you would have picked back then? Absolutely. So I think this is one of those movies you bring it up 
if you find 10 people that have seen this movie, which would be hard to do, but uh, I think 10 people would have vastly 10 different opinions and 10 different theories on what is going on in the movie. So I think it's fascinating on a discussion level that I would assume that us three will probably maybe have uh, different opinions and, and probably different ideas on what things mean and what's going on. So I think it leads to good discussion. Yeah, and we we gave a list of films because we're always looking for reasons to have Josh, Eric, anybody from the great VHS uh, Files podcast on. Now, Josh, you gravitated to this one. Is this a first time watch for you or had you seen this movie before? No, I'd seen it a couple of times. Um, I tend to gravitate towards the more ambiguous and, as you say, pretentious films nowadays. I like to be challenged by films now as opposed to things handed to me on a silver platter. Um, not really the reason why I heard buzz about this movie. And I mean, I'll just go ahead and put this out there. I mean, one of the reasons I was interested in this movie is uh, Scarlett Johansson. And uh, you see her and all of her birthday suit in this movie. So that was the one thing that led me to it. But after watching the movie, I have a whole completely different impression of what's happening in this movie with all of that. <laughs> but um, it's uh, it's definitely one of those movies that I gravitate to now because I just love to be challenged by something. I don't like to have things handed to me. Um, sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll watch a movie and it won't won't give me things and it'll completely piss me off and I'll be unhappy for a while. And sometimes I'll see something like this or a David Lynch film. And I will love the challenge that it's given me about what did I just watch? Yeah, this should be a good discussion. So before we dive into the film specifically and our, our good friend, Sammy, when he was on the podcast, um, we, we asked him, you know, our typical five questions when we bring somebody on new. And he brought up the term transgressive cinema. It's a, it's, a, it's a style of cinema that he likes. And I thought that would be a good place to start to just kind of get your opinion. Um, I don't know if Under the Skin specifically fits in that genre. I think it has hints of it. But I thought it was a good excuse because transgressive cinema, I think, kind of goes along uh, that style that you're looking for, Josh, where it's really challenging the viewer. Mm -hmm. So let me just level set for anybody who is just a casual movie watcher. And when we talk about cinema of, of transgression, let's let's kind of, I don't know, level set a little bit and define it. So it's it's a it's a type of cinema that really was defined back in the 70s and 80s. And just doing a little bit of research, if you kind of bring up transgressive cinema or, or cinema of transgression, a name pops up all the time, Nick Zed. So he was a self-styled king of the underground filmmaker, and he was a major player in New York's cinema of transgression in the late 70s and 80s. And he did films, now get these titles, They Eat Scum, Geek <laughs> Maggot Bingo, and Police State. So that that is, I mean, we're not talking independent film. We are talking independent film with a capital I. Uh, this guy, and, and I'll give you a, a little bit of taste here of some of the quotes, but um, he was somebody who thought that, you know, history, who's whoever got to the typewriter first. So he went to the typewriter. He did a lot of these homemade magazines where he would type out some stuff about film 
or uh, specifically, and we're going to talk about this, his uh, manifesto. It was called the Cinema of Transgression Manifesto. But the way he would circulate it, he'd type all this stuff out. He'd go to a Xerox machine, make copies, staple them together, and start handing them out. So it's a real underground sort of fanzine circulation. But, but let me give you some excerpts, and, and everybody can go out if, if you're curious about this. If you want to read the Cinema of Transgression Manifesto, it's not very long. It's like three or four paragraphs, but there's there's a couple of things in here I pulled that might set the table for what this type of cinema is. So according to Nick Zed, I think this is how it starts out. We who have violated the laws, commands, and duties of the avant-garde, i.e. to board, tranquilize, and obfuscate through a fluke process dictated by practical convenience, stand guilty as charged. That's how this thing starts. So he goes on and says, we openly renounce and reject the entrenched academic snobbery, which erected a monument to laziness known as structuralism and proceeded to lock out those filmmakers who possess the vision to see through this charade. And then he goes on and on and on. And we kind of get to the, to the, I don't know, the, the whole purpose of why he's writing this. Since there is no afterlife, the only hell is the hell of praying, obeying laws and debasing yourself before authority. The only heaven is the heaven of sin, being rebellious, having fun, learning new things, and breaking as many rules as you can. This act of courage is known as transgression. So at a high level, he's basically saying that there's a, an art form of cinema that is out there to challenge the viewer and is supposed to kind of push your buttons. And, and transgressive cinema is intended to make you feel something. And not necessarily like great things. It, it really is supposed to <laughs> kind of push the status quo. Um, and, you know, some of the titles that he worked on, I guarantee none of us. I'd be surprised if any one of us had seen They Eat Scum, Geek Maggot Bingo, or Police State. But there, if, if you go in and Google transgressive cinema, maybe look at modern transgressive cinema, here are a couple of titles that pop out. And I'm curious if you guys have seen these. So some recent examples of transgressive cinema. Sante Sangre from 1989, directed by Claudio Argento. Yes, Brad, that is brother to Dario Argento. Have either of you guys There's seen another this? one? There is another one. He makes movies uh, too. Is he better than his brother? He would have to be by default. I don't think there's a lot of people better than Dario in, mm. in that category. But uh, Brad, yeah. you're not an Argento fan? Not at all. Oh, no, go no. back and listen to any time we bring up Argento. It's like one of <laughs> it's always one of my favorite episodes is to talk Argento with Brad because I now have a reason, a podcast, to put it in front of him and make him watch an Argento film. <laughs> it's a yearly. I've tried film. a lot. I mean, I, I have given it like ten or eleven tries, and they've all been the worst movies I've ever seen. So <laughs> But no, I, I, Sante Sangre, I, I think it's been out there in, in circulation. I think there's a 4K coming out here soon. I, I know I pre-booked it. I don't know if it's Synapse or Vinegar Syndrome. It's one that I haven't seen yet, but when I saw that new edition coming out, I had to check it out. Have either of you seen this one? I have not. Nope. No, I've, I've seen, I think, what you're talking about. I think the 4K that's coming out, uh, it's been one of those that I've seen in the and the sites that I check out for movies that are coming up, but I have not seen it. Okay, well, let's try the next one then. I know Brad and I have seen this one because we just talked about it, but another example, now we're getting into the 90s, and it's none other than Bad Lieutenant from 1992. That some people would consider as transgressive cinema. So, Josh, have you seen Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel? I started watching it years ago. Uh, I have not given it a chance nowadays in the past 10 years or so. Um, uh, I'm anxious to go back and watch it, but I, at the time when I had heard of it and tried to watch it, I could not get through it. It was, uh, 
it was rough. I mean, watching Harvey Keitel dance around naked, drinking, being drunk, and uh, like sexually harassing someone as a cop in a at, at a stop was a, a little much for me at that point in time. Yeah, and Brad, I mean, so we're getting the flavor and the feel here. I mean, this is the whole style of cinema. It's supposed to kind of shock, shock and all. It and it's more than just exploitation cinema. I mean, it is really dealing with social taboos here. So here's another one, and I'm curious. I, I have not seen this one, so I'm curious about you guys and what you think about this director. So another example that pops up is 1997's Gummo, directed by Harmony Corinne. So either of you seen that one, or what are your opinions on Harmony? Uh, Gummo, 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 Gummo. Have I seen? I don't think I have. I have seen Gummo. Gummo is a tough watch. Um, I was actually, when you started talking about the trans, what is it, transgressive cinema? Yes. Um, It reminded me of Harmony Corinne because he is very much into um, this new sort of filmmaking style that came around his time. I don't know if it's Dogme or Dogma 95, something like that. and Lars von Trier was a big proprietor of this as well. And it's it's kind of in the same vein as what you're talking about with the transgressive cinema. They're more interested in making movies about story, themes, and stuff like that, and not so much focusing on special effects or um, technology on getting by. It's all about you know natural lighting, not using big lighting rigs, using very simple camera work, and stuff like that. And Harmony Corinne has been a big fan of that and i and and that also brings us to lars von trier who will, will probably end up being named here at some point yeah, you um, have to. um <clears throat> but harmony corinne has some strange films some of them i really like some of them i don't <laughs> like can i go back and watch kids now is it like gonna be like one of those films that i remember liking and then i go back and watch it and i'm like mm, maybe i shouldn't have done that well, Kids was one of the first ones that I saw that was striped up that controversy. It was big about the AIDS era. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and Harmony Corinne wrote that. And uh, Gummo was one of his, I don't think it was his first film. I think, I thought Gummo was his directorial debut. It may have been. I think he wrote Kids and then did Gummo. Um, but he's done a few others, Julian Donkey Boy, Mr. Lonely, and... Uh, as of late, uh, Spring Breakers, which I love. I love Spring Breakers. I love the Beach Bum, too. I thought it was yeah. highly underrated. Very fun. Very, very fun. <laughs> yeah, he's, but, uh, he's interesting. And and I'll, I'll say this. I do enjoy going back. And he used to do um, these interviews with David Letterman. So yeah. you can go back on YouTube and watch those. They're the most awkward interviews ever. But him, You don't say. <laughs> yes. But him being interviewed by David Letterman is... It's just like watching a traffic accident. So much fun. Well, not yeah, watch. I've, oh, let me, let me correct that. Like, I don't like to watch traffic accidents. I'm just trying to equate <laughs> it as it's fascinating. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, I watched like I think he's done three, three or four interviews on Letterman, and I've watched all of them fairly recently. And yeah, he he is an oddball, and Letterman just knows how to drag it, and 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 it's entertaining to watch. But yeah, it's an absolute train wreck. Yeah. So let's let's get a couple more examples. And now we're going to go to um, a country that was putting a couple of these out in the same year. So I bet you guys know where I'm going with this. So the first one I'm going to pick is 2008 Frontiers. I, I'm assuming I know, Brad, yes. you've seen it. I've seen yep. it. Josh, have you seen this one? It's a French horror not, film. I've not seen that one. Um, I know the next film you're going to say, too. What is that? Martyrs. Martyrs, also from 2008. 
You yeah, have an interesting have, story about martyrs. I have seen that. Right, Brad? I saw I saw Martyrs at Horror Hound with Charlie. And I remember when that movie was over, the auditorium was silent for no less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And people just sat there and were like, what just happened? It was maybe one of the most powerful things I ever watched that I never want to watch again. But it was just one of those moments where people kind of expected something, but not to that level. And when it was over, it just kind of took us all to another place. That um, movie does not does not clue you in as to where it's going whatsoever. And it takes you on a journey. And by the time you're done with that journey, you are glad it's over. Like it is, it is a tough watch, but being such a big fan of film, I almost want to go back and watch them just to see the things I missed before or catch anything that I, that may have slipped past me. But yeah, they're, they're very, very tough to watch. That movie is the closest thing I think a person can get to like running a marathon by watching a movie. It is literally the most exhausting thing I've ever watched in my life. I, I will say this uh, true test of time for my marriage was watching frontiers and martyrs with Tabitha. And we both had the same reaction to it. It was very visceral uh, and, and being a dad as well, especially frontiers that, that got to me, but I did not really understand what transgressive cinema was until I saw those two films, to be quite honest. And I didn't understand that there was a, a genre film that was provocative. And, and the entire intent was to really just smack you in the face. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with imagery either. It could be the topic itself. Frontiers definitely has an interesting premise and that topic in and of itself. I mean, it is gruesome, but just the idea of what's going on, man, if, if you're a parent, it really gets to you. So the other one that I wrote down, and you guys kind of mentioned it already, well, you mentioned the director. It's 2009's Antichrist. Now, here's one I haven't seen either. But another one, I mean, this director uh, is is kind of known for this genre. And I don't, I don't know what you think of Lars specifically. Josh, you start. <laughs> I, I've grown to appreciate Lars von Trier over the past few years. I have not seen all of his films. Um I have not seen Antichrist all the way through, but I do know some of the things that happen in that film, which could be hard to watch. Um, but I have seen his um, Nymphomaniac movie that came out a few years back and uh, watched Melancholia. That's another one that's just kind of a downer the entire time. And um, I'm very anxious to watch his newest one, The House That Jack Built. I actually bought the Blu-ray and have not had time to sit down and watch it yet. Um, I'm very interested to, to see that one. Bought that too. Same same story, sitting in the stack. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. One of, the, one of my favorite movie-going experiences was being back in Evansville, Indiana. And of all places, get this. So if you know that area, we drove to Henderson, Kentucky, which is five minutes over the bridge. You go Evansville, Henderson. So we drive to Henderson because at that time there was a little film club that was showing independent films and they'd show Dancer in the Dark in this small theater in Henderson, Kentucky, and a bunch of people go to see it. And again, th- these are these are film lovers, I, I would say. they You could classify them as pretentious. Sure, go ahead. I, I'm in that group too. We go watch Dancer in the Dark. My dad's there, wife, uh, we, 
it's actually a pretty packed house. As soon as that movie's over, just dead silence, and nobody liked it. And I freaking love that film. Like that's probably is that the Bjork. Is that yes. Bjork? Oh, okay. it's it's the anti-musical. I love it so much, but man, I want, it's a I want to see that movie so bad, but I know, I know it's going to wreck me. And I'm just trying to get that moment where it's like, okay, am I prepared to watch this? And I have not gotten around to it yet, but it's sitting in my queue just waiting to be watched. And I, I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. I, I, go ahead, Brad. I will say about Lars von Trier, I think his movies look beautiful. They're always shot with... You know, it's more art house than anything, really. But I, I, I like the way it looks. Um, the subject matter does get to you, and obviously, I think that's his per- his point. But um, I think Melancholia is an excellent movie, and some of the scenes and some of the shots in that movie are some of the best I've I've ever seen in cinema. It's it's great. It's like I don't know. It's like the pinnacle of just framing and all this stuff. Um, again, would I ever recommend one of his movies? Absolutely not. But um, I, I think, uh, I think he definitely has a look that, you know, is attractive to people. Cause I think, you know, you, you watch his movies and you say, this guy knows what he's doing, but he's also like trolling in a way too. Cause he's like putting a bifurcated dick on screen and all this stuff. And you're like, Oh, okay. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. 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 It's one of those situations where I know, I know who I can recommend Lars von Trier to. I wouldn't recommend it to any normal movie going <laughs> person. Uh, I'm the one who's going to rush out and see it in the theater if it's anywhere near me, but I would not ask anyone to come with me to see it. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a good explanation. So the last one I wrote down and I thought this was interesting. I, I would almost call this transgressive light. But I love this film, and it's 2010's I Saw the Devil. Have, have either of you seen this one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I can see where that is. We're actually going to be talking about that movie on the next episode. Well, not the next episode that we put out, but we're, we're doing a few episodes where we, we're doing some list, and um, I actually mentioned that movie on this episode that's coming up. And when it comes to uh, Korean, Asian cinema, whatever, that movie – is amazing and i've seen it jump down to like eight dollars on amazon and i will get online and be like if you if you love movies you need to buy this movie and watch it it is it's a hard watch but it is one of the best pieces of film i've seen in the past 10 years uh, so another great story and this is why i love living in baltimore so the parkway which is one of the oldest theaters out here it's my favorite theater of all time you, you just got to go look it up and look at the interior it's gorgeous and, it, and it's one of the old single screen balconies. They have other theaters that they converted that are almost like closet theaters, but the main auditorium, absolutely gorgeous. So you have the sort of like a Korean Appreciation Society. And what they do once a month is they would show a free film, free movie at the Parkway. And in the lobby, they would feed you and it was, you would get to like taste all these Korean dishes, all free. All you had to do was sign up. So one night they're going to show I Saw the Devil and I'm telling some people at work, I'm like, you have to go see this film. First response nothing to, works up an appetite like going to see I Saw the Devil. <laughs> so I'm telling them there's going to be free food. You're going to try all this cool stuff. And, and obviously, the minute somebody goes, are there subtitles? And you go, well, yes, it's a Korean film. Everybody checks out, but like two people. And we go and watch this. And I knew that this was a film that was going to challenge them. So for those who haven't seen it, I mean, the basic premise is there's a serial killer on the loose. 
and there is a cop chasing him. The serial killer ends up killing the cop's wife. And so the cop over time ends up finding out who the serial killer is, exposes him, but doesn't arrest him. What he decides to do is kidnap him and torture him and release him and then kidnap him, torture him and release him. So it is a revenge movie, but it goes some places and it is absolutely brilliant in my opinion. And I got to say for uh, the, and, and I consider them friends too. They're not just coworkers, but they absolutely fell in love with it. And it's one of those films that I don't think they would have gone unless there was free Korean food. Um, <laughs> but Man, to see that film in just one of the classic theaters on the East Coast was just an absolute joy. It's like top 10 movie moment for me. But I'm with you guys. I absolutely love that film. Some of the best movies I've seen uh, since becoming a bigger cinephile is is Korean cinema. Uh, when I saw Old Boy, I, I was blown away. And, and it just took me down that road. And uh, I'm very anxious to watch Memories of Murder. I haven't watched that yet. But after seeing Parasite and, and watching Host and uh, all of those, like, I, I just love what they do with their films. They're, it's, they're not afraid to do things that are taboo and, and shock people. It's, it's very, they do not tame their filmmaking like American films do in most cases. And, you know, they're going to push the envelope. And I, I love seeing films that are willing to do that. Yeah. They're, they're challenging, but they are worth, you know, sitting through and they, they will take you places and you will maybe not enjoy going there, but at the end of the row, you're, you're, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but the stories they tell and the way in the filmmaking all just kind of culminates. And it's just, Again, it's an, it's it's another thing. They take you on a journey, and by the time it's over, you you either love it or hate it. But um, I, I tend to love most of what I see when it comes to that. I, I agree. I will say this: I think Korea does a really good job of looking at other countries and taking the best of it, and kind of incorporating it into their filmmaking style. And I'll say this: if if you want to see, if you find the the perfect Korean action film you will see Hollywood production value mixed in with 80s, 90s Hong Kong action. And that's some of the best filmmaking you're going to see today in terms of action films. But but overall, I mean, I've just, I've listed a few. There's a lot of what they would consider transgressive. And, you know, the thing about transgressive cinema, I, I do think it's subjective. Um, I saw The Devil's a great example. I don't think it's as harsh as something as even Bad Lieutenant or Martyrs in terms of where it goes. And as a, you know, when you're talking about assaulting your senses, but I still think it really pushes some taboos, but I got to ask you guys in general. Um, and I, I, I'm so glad you picked this because Sammy had talked about it when he was on the show that he's an individual who loves this type of cinema. Like he loves going to the films and he loves feeling something like a movie that really pushes your buttons. He really looks forward to it. But I got to ask, like um, both of you, is is that something that you search out? So I know Josh, you talked about looking for kind of the weird and odd and the challenge um, that comes from a filmmaker who might be taking a different style and narrative. That is different than transgressive cinema. I think the difference is, and I'll I'll kind of make this a little bit. Some of David Lynch. I think is artistic storytelling, but I think some of his stuff is not transgressive cinema. I think, I think it's interesting story. I think there, there is a fine line between kind of hitting you in the face with something taboo 
or really coming at you and assaulting your senses versus coming at you in an artistic and stylish way to present a narrative or even challenge storytelling. So I'm just curious what you guys think in terms of this genre of cinema. Is it something you just kind of run out there and see when you know about it? Or is it kind of like, well, I'm going to watch it if I have to because, you know, Brad recommended it or something. I mean, every film that we've mentioned besides the one by Argento's brother, like I kind of have an itching to like go back and watch even Martyrs. I'm like, it's been 13 years. Maybe I'm ready to see it again. (laughs) Uh, Frontiers has been a while. Maybe I'm ready to see that again. Like they're always in the back of my mind to want to see and want to be challenged like that again. Um, you know, it, like I said, with me, it, it, it's not every day. Like I'm not looking to watch these every day or maybe even every week, but once in a while, I want to put something in that's really going to take me somewhere and I'm going to kind of like feel it in my gut. Okay. Yeah. I mean, with me, it's, it's one of those, like some of my favorite films tend to be those. And, and it's not because I like being in that in that world or, or, or like Requiem for a Dream, for instance. Oh, another um, good example. Yes. It, uh, it is a very difficult movie to watch. And I don't know if they're trying, I mean, they're definitely assaulting your senses in that movie for sure. But um, I don't know if it is the quote unquote transgressive cinema, but it's one of those where you see it and you probably think one time is enough because what they deal with and what they do in that movie is very much, a chore to get through, but it's a fantastic piece of filmmaking. And every now and then I will get that, that hankering to go, you know what? I'm ready to torture myself and, and to watch. go ass to ass <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to see Jared Leto get his arm chopped off from being a heroin addict. Um, I, I tend to like those movies for the fact that, and, and we'll talk about it with under the skin too, but, uh, I like when two days after watching it, my wife's going, so what do you think was going on here and how we can theorize what's going on? That's another reason I got so into David Lynch and like Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is a TV show that is so far ahead of its time. If it were to come out now, I think it would be a completely different sort of thing. And we've kind of seen that with Twin Peaks, the return, um, letting Lynch just go completely Lynch with a TV show. Uh, but I, where my wife watched the first two seasons of Twin Peaks with me and enjoyed every minute of it, she could not get through the first episode of The Return because David Lynch is doing his thing. Um, now, that's not to say that there's not some weird stuff going on in the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, but still, um, he just kind of took the reins and, and did did his thing with the new, with the new show, but... Um, I, I like talking with people about it and, and, and theorizing what he's trying to do, what he's trying to say, if he's trying to say anything at all, um, you know, that kind of stuff just really gets me. And I think those stick with me more because they're such conversation pieces. Um, I don't seek them out all the time, but when I hear about them, I get interested. And um, one of them that I've seen recently is a Serbian film. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Oh, ooh, oh. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can do that one. It I, I don't like know. my, my review, which I'm a letterbox user and I, I used to put reviews up all the time. Now I really just log what I watch on there. But my review of that movie basically was this film exists. And that's really all I can say about it. 
Um, it's going for shock value. It's going to hit you over the head and annihilate your senses, but they do it in a way that is just crude. And I don't know, I don't know who could thoroughly enjoy a movie like that. I've seen it and I can say that I've seen it, but I'm not going to tell you to go watch it because I, I don't think, I don't think there's anything to enjoy in it, but being a cinephile and, and, and liking watching films, of course, when you hear about films like that, I'm curious, I'm going to watch it, but that's, a, that's one. I mean, unfortunately I bought it. I don't think I will ever watch it again. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the weird thing about these films. It's very rare. So I saw the devil is something that I, I don't think I would have a lot of problem. I don't know, recommending to somebody who likes movies because at its core base, it's a, it's a really good thriller and while it does a fantastic job, I think, in assaulting your senses a little bit and maybe challenging your version of status quo from a film-going perspective, kind of like Old Boy, I, yeah. I, I have no problem in recommending either of those. These others, like Bad Lieutenant, you know, Frontiers, uh, <laughs> Martyrs, I would never recommend that to anybody unless it were maybe, you know, within our circle here. So if I, if I run across a film, definitely you know, call you up, Josh or Brad, Charlie, some of the others that I know. Uh, don't ever Sammy. call. Don't ever call me. Oh, don't I'm, call I'm me. calling you. And just kind of go, hey, I, I, I don't know if it would be a recommend. It would be like, here's what I saw. My eyeballs got assaulted with these images. You might want to check it out. Here's what it is. But I got to say, and I think you guys have hit it. I don't know if I am a person who ultimately loves this genre of film. I think I need it every once in a while to kind of wake me up from a film going perspective. And I think that's the intent of it. Because if you go back and read that manifesto, I, man, I gotta say that manifesto actually matters more today than it did back in the seventies and eighties, especially if you look at the quality of films that were coming out in the seventies. I'm surprised with the streaming services and, and just the access to capital that's out there to make films we don't have more transgressive cinema. As a matter of fact, I, I really think it's a dying art to some degree compared to what we were getting back in the 70s, 80s, even 90s. Um, and that kind of saddens me because again, with all the Snyder cuts out there and all these Netflix specials and everything else, dude, we, we need artists to kind of step up and really challenge the status quo. And, and I almost equate it to this. So from a music perspective, again, when something I've found late in life and I, I just kick myself for not seeing this sooner was the decline of Western civilization. That documentary from 1981 mm -hmm. from Penel yep. Penelope, uh, Spheris, I think she did Wayne's world, right? Yep. So that movie just blew me away and I got to see it, um, actually in the theater with a good friend, Randy dragged me to it. And, it, and it's that punk rock vibe that it gives you. And you, just, I love punk rock music, but it's not something I'm going to listen to all the time. You got to be in the right mood for it. And that's what I feel these movies are, but dang it. I wish there were more of them, but not that I would go out and just watch them all the time. I just feel like we've got so much cookie cutter crap out there. You, you kind of are hoping that some artists would step up and, and really bring some of this stuff back. I do. I do think you are seeing it a little bit more in the mainstream nowadays, for sure. Um, you've got, 2016's Nocturnal Animals, which was uh, Tom Ford directed, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I can't remember who else was in it. Um, but that one's a bit challenging. Amy Adams, she's also in it. Um, but it's kind of the same sort of thing. Like it doesn't, 
it's not straightforward storytelling. Another one, which Jake Gyllenhaal seems to keep popping up a lot here, but uh, but Denny, uh, Denny Villeneuve. Uh, uh, with, prisoners. Uh, prisoners. Yep. Um, but his movie that he actually shot before Prisoners came out after Prisoners called Enemy. Oh, yes. Yep. That movie, if you have not seen that, that one is great. It was my top movie of the year that year. And it's because it is a challenging film. Um, it looks very simple on the surface, but when you watch that movie, you will think about it for a week afterwards. And there are so many different theories behind it. I don't want to get into it all if you haven't seen it, but if, if you like to be challenged by a film, I highly, highly recommend enemy. Okay. I, I think also like as people who watch movies more than the average person, like you kind of have to keep your skills sharp and those, these movies kind of do that. You know, it's, you're getting the knives out and you're sharpening them up a little bit to keep you, keep you on your feet and make sure you still have that. I don't know. No, you just don't watch movies, but you're more, you can find the, the meetings and what is this and what is that? And what are they trying to do here? Sort of deal that you don't get when you watch transformers or something like that. So and I think a lot of why I'm drawn to that kind of thing is I'm, I'm a musician and a lot of the music that I grew up listening to and that I like a lot are, you know, lyrics that are completely out there and, and take on different meanings de uh, depending on who you are. Um, you know, Radiohead, you could, you could have all kinds of different things being theorized of what's going on in Tom York's mind. Um, but I, that's the challenge I like with music. I like to sit there and talk about what is he actually singing about in this song? Is he singing about someone breaking his heart or is he singing about eating a candy bar? It could be one or the other, you know, like I love that kind of thing. I love to, to talk about that and be, it, it, it entertains me. So I think it's kind of the same thing with these style of movies. No, I agree. I, the, these are the type of films that I do like to bring up more so than, I don't know, the, the mainstream stuff, because it does give you more kind of meat to chew on. Um, and obviously it makes for a great podcast. So we have an example that we're going to talk this evening, which is your pick, Brad, Under the Skin from 2013. Now, one of the questions that will come up later on the thoughts of the film is, you know, is this cinema of transgression? I, th I think that's up for debate to a certain degree. But before we get into like our reaction to this film, Brad, it's time for your shtick where we go through the numbers and how did this thing do? Obviously, it made a podcast called Not a Bomb. So either it didn't do very well at the box office or critics hate it. So how did this thing play out? So we're looking at a budget of about $13.3 million. Um, now, a lot of that got, was funded through um, an independent film program. So when we talk about it being a bomb, you know, it got some funding. So, you know, whatever. But so I will say before I do this, some places said that it brought into the box office um, $7.3 million. I could not find the math behind that because when I went to look at box office mojo, um, it said it made domestically $2.6 million. It internationally made $3.1 million. So I'm getting $5.7 million. So I'm going with that because I know how to do math. Um, <laughs> opening weekend makes 133 K. Wow. Um, in, in just four theaters. So this movie only releases in a maximum of 176 theaters. So you're looking at a very limited run here. Um, 
released April 4th. And I will tell you, this movie had zero chance when it came out April 4th, a film starring Scarlett Johansson, because another film starring Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans comes out the same day. Captain America, Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier. Yep, that's yes. Right. Same day. Um, so, you know, again, this film was never going to be a huge box office success. Um, and of course, you know, they're not going to not release it because, you know, Winter, or, uh, yeah, Winter Soldier is coming out. But just to kind of talk about the other films that came out around that time, we've got uh, some of these are kind of, well, I said Winter Soldier, uh, Draft Day with the Kevin Costner, uh, Cleveland Browns, I believe he is the GM of that. Um, a good little horror film, Oculus. Oh, comes yeah. Out I think our friends month. at uh, Night of the Living Podcast just talked about that one. Yeah. Um, then we have another horror film. I I don't. I can't remember if I like this one or not. It was called 13 Sins. A parody film, A Haunted House 2 comes out. Um, that's the Wayan Brothers, I believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Heaven is for real. <laughs> I don't know. I just I saw that one. I was like, okay, I'm going to mention that one. Um, and the Johnny Depp Transgressions film. What, what is the name of that movie? Transcendence. Sorry, Transcendence. Okay. Uh, I think he like gets load like uploaded into a computer or something. I don't know. Um, Lock the Tom Hardy. I'm in a car movie. Oh, which I saw a trailer for that. Yeah, is garbage. And oh, really? I loved it. I uh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really dig it that much. Um, and that's about it, really. I, I feel um, like all the, the studios the big... were staying away from Captain America that month. Yeah, yeah. I will say that that the Winter Soldier is my favorite of the MCU films. So I concur. Love it. I don't know what mine is. I'm, I'm a sucker for all of them, so I can't really narrow it down at this moment. I know I, I love what they're doing with the Marvel Universe and don't really have any complaints. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here's where the fun part comes, Troy. Okay. Critics. Yes. Have this film at an 84%. That's 255 reviews. I, I believe it based on the box art of my Blu-ray because it's just filled with all these little quotes mm-hmm. about it being a masterpiece and just amazing and blah 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 pick an adjective they threw it on that blu-ray cover yep. if what would you think the audience score for this film would be 15 percent uh well it's 55 but it's much different than the critics uh over two over twenty five thousand reviews this thing sits at 55 percent with the audience um this film i guess is obviously a critics film and your normal Average Joe, not so much. Well, it's a pretentious uh, art piece that is sort of catering to maybe somebody who is, I I don't know, what would you call it like a David Cronenberg 2001 combo? And and if you looked at the trailer, you would sort of look at that and say, I mean, I, I totally understand why a marketing department would look at this print and go, what do we do with this thing? Yeah, throw their hands up in the air and be like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, very much, I mean, like they would have done in our discussion with Buckaroo Banzai, where the marketing department was like, we have no idea, you know, we're going to Star Trek conventions and try and push this thing off. That's what they did for Buckaroo Banzai. With this one, what do you do? I mean, it 
if you go online and search out for like Scarlett Johansson and her thoughts on this film, you see a lot of her interviews as well as the director, Jonathan Glazer showing up at the Venice film festival. So it's all, it's the festival market that absolutely just adored this thing. And Brad, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, this did sort of land on a bunch of top 10 lists for that year, right? Yeah, actually. So BBC's got it as one of the hundred greatest films of the 21st century. Um, it won a lot of films of the year. Um, it's got accolades forever. Um, another one is for music, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of these films that's, you know, the European film award. I mean, you name it, it's been given something at some point in time by film festivals, you know, London film critics choice, all these. So uh, if you're a critic, I'm assuming you love this movie because 85% of them do. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of lists. I thought this was kind of funny to to be in the same paragraph. On one list, it was, uh, there's a books out there that's like, hey, these are the thousand and one movies you have to see before you die. So it shows up in that list. And then on the same list for 2014, it shows up on Mr. Skin's like hottest celebrity nude things as number whatever. Uh, so I, I think everybody found something to like in this film in some perspective. Did they though? <laughs> i don't know sorry well so let's talk about the people that were making the film behind the camera and those who are in front of the camera so in front of the camera is kind of going to be a short discussion short talk yeah yeah but let's talk about the people behind it so the director is jonathan glazer he's done three movies he did birth in 2004 sexy beast in 2000 and obviously this one he did a lot of music videos and commercials he's actually received two nominations for the MTV Video Music Award for Best Direction, but I want to talk about his films for a second. Um, Birth is the Nicole Kidman film where the kid is trying to convince Nicole Kidman that uh, he is her dead husband. And Sexy Beast is a gangster film that got a lot of notoriety for Ray Winston's performance in that. Have you seen mm -hmm. any of these films? I've seen Se Sexy Beast quite a bit. I have not seen Birth. Sexy Beast I like a lot. Okay. What about you, Josh? I have not seen Birth. I own the DVD. I have not watched it yet. Um, I have seen Sexy Beast. Uh, it's funny if Ray Winstone is the one they're talking about in that movie. Uh, who's the guy who played the Mandarin? What's his name? Ben Kingsley. Uh, ben, ben Kingsley. Like Ben Kingsley's performance in that is bonkers. Oh yeah. I've never I've never seen that dude do a, a performance like that. But that's what sticks out in that movie to me. But I've only seen it once. But I have seen that one. I have not seen Birth. Yeah, birth is interesting. I, I will say this. I did enjoy it. I, I wouldn't run out and just say, go, you know, buy it. It's definitely something that pops up if you have a chance to watch it. Watch it. It's got an interesting premise, and Nicole Kidman is fantastic in it. Sexy Beast, um, Ray Winston. I, I, I know everybody talks about Ben Kingsley, but I think Ray Winston is just as good into that. But, I mean, it, it's hard to go up against Ben Kingsley's performance in that film. <laughs> Yeah. So it, it is quite bonkers. But th those are two really solid films. And it's interesting to me that this guy's only done three movies. He's done a lot of short films and a lot of music videos. And quite honestly, he's done a ton of commercials. If you go back and look at his background, he's, he's still doing a lot of commercials. Which leads me to the screenplay. It's also done by Jonathan Glazer and Walter Campbell. So I don't know if you guys know anything about Walter Campbell. He is one of the most awarded advertising creatives of the last 15 years. So... Um, sorry, 50, not 15. So if you go to IMDb, 
you basically see Jonathan Glazer who's doing music videos, commercials, three films, and the other screenwriter is somebody who works in advertising and, it, and is very famous for that. Um, on top of that, it's based on a novel by Michael Faber. A couple other um, people, actually I'm only going to talk about one other person behind the scenes because I think this is going to come up in our thoughts on the film and that's the composer Micah Levi. Um, he did the score and to your point, Brad, the score comes up a lot in terms of um, for that year, you know, in terms of just a score that's haunting, it's impressive, uh, and I guess tonally it really just matches this thing, which is sort of hard to believe. <laughs> uh, in front of the camera, we, I mean, there's a couple of names I'll mention, but we're we're really talking about Scarlett Johansson. This blew my mind. So. She was the world's highest paid actress in 2018 and 2019 and has featured uh, multiple times on Forbes Celebrity 100. Her films have grossed $14.3 billion worldwide, making her the highest grossing actress and ninth highest grossing box office star of all time. Ninth, right? So obviously a lot of Marvel movies are playing. A lot of Marvel, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's the recipient of several accolades, including the Tony Award, for Best Featured Actress in a Play, and a BAFTA Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role, and she's had nominations, two Academy Awards, and five Golden Globes. So I, I'm just going to make my statement before I hand it over to, your guy, to you guys on thoughts on Scarlett. I will say this. If you go back and look at her filmography, she started in 1994, and all the stuff she's doing today, I think there is a case to say that she is one of the best American, if not the best American working actress out there today. Oh yeah. Agreed. But what do you, what are your thoughts on her? I'll start with you, Josh. Um, I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, ever since ghost world, I think that would be the first time I'd, I'd seen her in a film and then going on from there. Um, no, I did not see home alone three. Is it that, is it, is it home alone three that she's in? Um, Oh yeah. 1997. But, yep. But, uh, I tend to like that she she chooses projects that, you know, obviously she's been in a lot of Marvel movies and she knows how to do the blockbuster thing, but she is not afraid to do an art piece or, or, or do something that's a little, you know, off from what she would typically do. Um, one of her most recent performances that blew me away was um, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. She's oh amazing in Jojo God, Rabbit. She's so good in that. Yes. And, and I, I that film... I love that film. That film broke my heart. And, and a lot of it is because of her and, and the kids in that movie. But I, I love Scarlett Johansson and, and, and not just for the, you know, fact that she's gorgeous, but she is one hell of an actress. Well, and, you put up like Jojo rabbit and then like the same year she does marriage story. And you're like the gamut of talent that takes those two films is amazing. Right. And he's, uh, both of them she knocks it out of the park yeah marriage story blew me away uh not not just her i mean adam driver i i i was sure that um joaquin phoenix was going to win the oscar until i saw marriage story and then i was like ooh, maybe he's got some competition here but uh, you know, obviously joaquin phoenix won it but um adam driver is excellent in that movie absolutely phenomenal yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I look at especially what she's done. I mean, under the skin, if you think about what was going on in the 2010s, right? So 2010, she does Iron Man 2. That's where she solidifies her role for Black Widow, right? Mm -hmm. So there's where she's making all the money. But she does Iron Man 2. She does We Bought a Zoo. Absolutely love that film. Uh, Hitchcock. 
Then in 2013, she does Don John, Under the Skin, and Her. And I got to tell you, Her is so good simply because mm-hmm. of her voice. I mean, she she plays the AI and the just tone, inflections, everything else. I mean, talk about an amazing performance, and you never see her. Right. But you look at Avengers, Age of Ultron in 2015. Then the next year, she does Hail Caesar, Jungle Book, Captain America, Civil War, Sing. So you've got the Hollywood blockbuster, and then you got a Coen Brothers film in there. Um, Ghost in the Shell. She's, she's known as, I think, a good Hollywood action actress, but the fact that she can do that, turn around and do comedy with Rough Night, I haven't seen it. But I'll tell you this, it's one of those films that if I had a chance to run across it, because she's in it, I'll probably watch it. She's just she's just one of the actors or actresses that you see her name in it, I'm I'm gonna go watch it. But I gotta tell you, Avengers Infinity War, <laughs> she is the heart and soul of that entire film. And you want to see a grown man cry in public? (laughs) (laughs) What happens to her was just gut-wrenching. But again, I think that ties back to how how good she is just with that Hollywood performance. And like you said, Josh, I mean, Marriage Story, Jojo Rabbit, dude, I'm... I am. We haven't not, even talked about Lost in Translation. Oh right. my God, I Lost mean, in Translation by itself. But that—that's the older stuff. I mean, yeah, I've, the Prestige. She's in the black. She's done three films with. Now I'm. I'm going to say the name. Just don't go there. She's done films with Woody Allen, and they're amazing films. I mean, Scoop, Match Point, stuff like that. Uh, Match Point's great. Vicky Cristina Barcelona is. She is so good in that. But I'm. I'm just telling you. I. I dare say that at the trajectory that she's going i mean she's gonna be you know i guess the next meryl street if you're talking about academy award nominations and actresses katherine hepburn i mean i put her at that level and she and in my opinion she's just getting started i i really think she's just warming up in terms of her acting chops and uh the stuff she's getting involved into but i i think you give it 50 years from now you know, when you talk about American actresses, she's going to be the one that people are just saying, yeah, you've got Catherine Hepburn, you've got um, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, she's that good. I mean, I know it's unfair for women because Scarlett Johansson's 36 now and like she might as well be 100 in, you know, for women uh, in Hollywood. But you think about it. Yeah, she's literally just started actors acting since 94, it says. So, you know, we have hopefully another 36 years, you know, or 50 years of Scarlett Johansson movies. And she's one of those people that anytime she's in something, like you kind of perk up and say, okay, that's going to be on my radar because she's in it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm excited for Black Widow, not because I think the trailers look like meh. I'm I'm not excited for it to be a Marvel uh, movie. I'm excited because she's leading an action film. Like I'm I'm totally pumped for that. But it's it's her character. I mean, I, I'm just I'm ready to see her character on screen with a movie for of her of her on her own. Uh, I, I don't don't think it was really all that fair that we didn't get that in the first uh, whatever you want to call it the the phases. Yeah, the first phase of the Marvel universe. So um, I think it's weird that they're kind of retconning that. But yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I'm ready to see her take on a film on her own and see how she does with it. Yeah, I just I'm I'm. Always... That's called the Wonder Woman syndrome, Josh. They saw that Wonder Woman made a ton of money. They oh, we have a female character too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I always thought like a Jennifer Lawrence. I and I this is an unfair comparison. Um, and the watch reason, out now. 
Well, She's from my state. I know. Watch out. And the reason why it's unfair is I think Jennifer Lawrence is a good actress, but she's not Scarlett Johansson. So I, I think Jennifer Lawrence has tried to do what Scarlett Johansson does in terms of bounce back and forth to really meaty roles um, into something that's more mainstream. But again, go back and look at her, her filmography all the way from... Uh, Ghost World. I, I think you're right in kind of talking about that and saying 2001 Ghost World. That's where I first kind of think I discovered her. But you look at her run of films and her choices from 2001 to today. She is going back and forth to like Hollywood type films to just really interesting roles and doing it so well. I mean, she's nailing it every time. And I, I feel like Jennifer Lawrence is the poor person's um, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> so Go back and watch Winter's Bone again. Now, yeah, but that's my point is she started at a good place just like where I, I would equate that to like Ghost World and look what each person's done with their career. I think what's happened with Jennifer Lawrence is she got a lot at once and it kind of overwhelmed her maybe because you don't see her doing a whole lot right now. Um, she got married I, and retired, semi-retired for a little bit. Yeah, and... Um, I, I'm not I'm not knocking her at all. I think Jennifer Lawrence is a great actress and I, I haven't seen much with her that I haven't liked. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she's it's like you said, she's not Scarlett Johansson. She's not. And, and I am knocking her. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say it. So I know she visits Louisville. And if I happen to run into her when I'm visiting visiting you, Brad, I'm I'm assuming you're going to protect me. But um, no, I've just I've never been as impressed with Jennifer Lawrence outside of like Winter's Bone compared to all the things that Scarlett Johansson has done. So I'm I'm just I'm I'm buying the Scar Scarlett Johansson. I know she doesn't like the Scar Joe. She says that in interviews. It's very lazy. But if there's a Scar Joe T-shirt, I'm buying that thing. I'll I'll join the fan club. <laughs> um, the other two people that I'll just mention in terms of front of the camera, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about why uh, we're not really going through an actors list here when we talk about the production and filming, but Jeremy McWilliams. So his credit uh, is the bad man. That's what he's known for in the film. He's actually a championship motorcycle racer. So mm -hmm. he was kind of picked because of some of the shots and everything that they were doing with this motorcycle going through Scotland. Um, and then another interesting uh, pick, and we're going to talk about this on thoughts of the film is Adam Pearson. So in the credits, he's known as the disfigured man uh, he actually has neurofibromatosis. So he is somebody that was specifically kind of picked for a plot element within the film. And again, we'll talk about his performance and, and sort of the meaning of it within this. But before we get into thoughts in the film, because I know you guys are, are, are just, I, I can see it in your face. You're just ready to dive into this film. Let's talk about pre-production, a little bit of casting and filming. So real quick, Jonathan Glazer decided to adapt Michael Faber's novel, Under the Skin, after finishing his debut film, Sexy Beast. But um, really, if you're thinking about that, that's about 2000. I mean, this thing was you know, being worked on for about 10 years leading up to actually getting to film it in, in pre-production. So Glazer and co-writer Milo Edica, later replaced by Walter Campbell. So that's when Campbell came in spent several years writing and rewriting the story. They conceived an elaborate high-budget film and produced a script about two aliens disguised as husband and wife farmers. So that was the initial premise. And Brad Pitt was actually cast as the husband, but the progress was slow. So again, this thing's been you know sitting in development hell for about 10 years. Glazer eventually decided to make a film that represented in an alien perspective of the human world and focused only on the female 
um, character. So they dropped everything else out of the script from that perspective. And then for that female alien, they looked at Gemma Adderton, Eva Green, January Jones, Abby Cornish, Olivia Wilde. They were all considered. And um, really, it came down to Scarlett Johansson, who remained committed to the project for, for you know multiple years before it was actually made. At, and this is why there's not a lot of what we would consider like actors that we would run through in front of the camera. But Glazer really wanted the film to be super realistic. So most of the characters that you see in the film were portrayed by non-actors. So many scenes, such as those set in the nightclub and shopping center and scenes where um, Scarlett is picking up men in a van, they're totally unscripted. And they were filmed with hidden cameras within the van. So the production team would inform the subjects they had been filmed, ask permission to use the footage. And Glazer said the men were talked through what extremes they would have to go through if they agreed to take part in the film once they understood what they were doing. And there's some great stories if you want to go on YouTube and sort of search the internet of Scarlett Johansson talking about it, that experience because she'd be driving around in costume in this van with her little earpiece. And of course, Glazer's like, oh, you see that guy? Pick him up. And, and sometimes they would or sometimes Scarlett Johansson would look at that and go, dude, that guy's drunk and I'm afraid for myself. So I'm not I'm not picking up that guy. But that's how they filmed a lot of the scenes for the first half of it, which is, again, non-actors. And um, once they would go through that and capture that performance, both of Scarlett Johansson and, you know, the person they meet off the street, then they go to him and say, hey, we're making a movie. Do you want to sign this, et cetera? So that's why we're really focused on Scarlett Johansson in this film, plus, you know, the other two that we talked about. So that's my spiel. Now we get to, and I, I'm, I've got to be honest with you, I have been dying to know what you guys think of this film because most of the time when I watch something, as long as I've known Brad, I can walk away from something and go, oh, he hated it. I, I'm going to hear about it for like an hour and a half or whatever, how stupid this thing is. Or I'm go I'll be like, yeah, I, I think Brad's going to dig this one. I can't ever find the film that Brad loves. It either falls into he hates it. Or I think I think there's a chance he's gonna like this one. Um, and Josh, I have no idea where you're gonna end on this, but I'm gonna start with you, Josh. So, what are your initial thoughts on Under the Skin? I love it. I, I, All right, the end. Thanks. Let's go. <laughs> there, there's there's no bones about it. Now, I mean, we've talked a lot about the transgressive filmmaking and and the directors that are associated with that, and some of the directors nowadays. Um, Jonathan Glazer seems to have definitely, you know, pulled for, from some some David Lynch here and some Stanley Kubrick. I mean, you can see 2001 all over this movie. Um, the score in this movie that we've just mentioned is amazing. It fits the every frame where there is score. It fits perfectly. And Scarlett Johansson is captivating by, well, by, by not really doing a whole lot, to be honest. Um, I love that we're thrown into, uh, this scenario and we're just kind of following along like a fly on the wall. We don't really know what's happening and it's, it's left to you to kind of figure it out. And as we progress, we do see, you know, where things are going and, and how certain things play out. Uh, but it, it, it does not hold your hand. It does not tell you what you should be thinking right here, right here and, and what you're seeing, uh, what, what you should be thinking about what you're seeing. It's literally just, here's what we have for you. And I think the performance from Scarlett Johansson in it and the direction from Glazer make it very enjoyable, albeit challenging, but I, I love every second of this movie. 
Okay, that's a good take. Brad, this is your pick. Just right out of the gate, what what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so, you know, I kind of equate this movie to uh, to going for, like, long runs. Um, you don't know why you're doing it, and you're, you're, you're literally leaving and coming back, and, and you're in the same spot when you left um, two hours later. But, like you you did something and you accomplished something that's not easy and that's kind of watching this movie you're 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 going on a journey and eventually you just kind of end up where you started and you're happy that you went on it and you're exhausted and you're all hot and sweaty but no <laughs> but you know i really think this is one of those films that like i said at the beginning you get a group of people in a room now granted finding 10 people that have seen this movie is going to be challenging. But if you find people that have seen this movie, I, I, I really think you're going to have a lot of different perspectives. And I really think you're going to find people who absolutely love it. Absolutely hate it. And there's not going to be a whole lot of people in that middle where they're just like, ah, it was fine. I think it's going to kind of require someone to have really intense feelings on the movie. And luckily I fit I fit on the side that I love this movie because ever since I've watched it and luckily I was off work today I got to watch it today which is like the latest I've ever seen one of our movies so I'm kind of still thinking about it um I, I had seen it before but it had been a long time so it's like this is a fresh wash watch for me and it really challenges you but like I am like even now, like replaying the film in my head and thinking about what is this? What is this? Oh, wait, I need to talk to Troy and, and Josh about this because I want to know what they're thinking about. What does that mean? So it, it's one of those movies where as soon as you are done and you can find people who have seen it, you immediately just want to talk for however long it takes to figure out what is going on. And I think that is my favorite thing about this movie is the communal aspect of finding people who, even if they hate it or just finding people who have seen it and trying to get what they think about it. Okay. Well, so, yeah, but I, I, I immensely uh, enjoyed it. Now we'll immensely get back to enjoyed it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. As much as you can enjoy this movie. Um, now I think it's weird that like, you know, Mr. Skin, like, was all up, you know, people were going to Mr. Skin to see, cause this is like the least sexy film I think I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> for, for Scarlett Johansson being a sex symbol, it, this movie made her very unsexy in some regards. Um, yeah. While, while it was something to kind of look forward to, if you are attracted to her, it, it doesn't, doesn't play it that way at all. No, no. So that's my thoughts, Troy, you go now. Okay. So I, I, I own the Blu-ray and I've seen it before, so I get the Blu-ray out, knowing we're going to watch this, and I, I see all the adjectives, masterpiece, blah, 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 blah. Get excited, sit down, put it in. And I saw trailers for the following movies. Um, Enemy, which you talked about, Josh. And I remember yep. seeing that trailer a couple times, and I'm like, oh, Jake Gyllenhaal, that does look good. So found out that I have that. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm going to watch that. And then they had a trailer for Locke, and you hated it, Brad, but you think it's awesome. I got to tell you, that trailer looked really good. But it, it was Tom Hardy in a car, right? Taking phone I, calls. and I will say, if you 
are interested in watching Tom Hardy in a car for an hour and hour and a half talking on the phone, you will like this movie. <laughs> well, the, the I mean, trailer <laughs> sold me a little bit. I'm like, that looks weird, but uh, I think I'm in it. And so the next trailer was Spring Breakers, and we talked about this one. You wow, guys, we've hit all three of them. Yeah, yeah. you guys love that one. I, and I remember seeing that, and um, the Isle Seat, which is one of the websites that you know we kind of champion here, uh, he, he loves that film. And I remember seeing it and going, wow, it's, it's got some good ideas in it. I don't know if I totally love it, but it, I really understand what it was going for. And I, I, I kind of respect it for what it was trying to say at, for that time period. Troy, we should start a podcast where we review, where you like examine films that didn't do very well in the theater or with the critics. I, I like that idea because we could do spring breakers. <laughs> we could. So the, yeah. the, the, and man, and I'm only halfway through the trailer. So the next one they did was the bling ring, which I haven't seen, but I found out it's another one I owned. So I'm going to have to watch that one now, but it, it looked interesting. And again, I like those films that bring up a little bit of a social commentary. And that one really looked like it was having fun with, um, I don't know, your, your Instagrammers so and your social media people. We didn't bring that one up, but we did talk about the director of that film's movie, which Scarlett Johansson is in, Sofia Coppola. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to – let's just like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon all of these here. Guys. Yes. So then the <laughs> next trailer was the spectacular now with um, the Miles guy. Uh, what's his name? Miles Teller. Miles mm -hmm. Teller, which I don't know if you guys have seen that one. It did not fit Enemy Lock, Spring Breakers, or The Bling Ring. But when I saw the trailer for Spectacular Now, I'm like, dude, I – I've seen the cover and I've seen stuff. I did not interest me, but it looked interesting. Yes. No, I, I got, I got the connection ready. Here it goes. Yeah. Miles Teller was in fantastic four, which right. is now in the MCU. Therefore Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Good go. Way to go. That was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen that. It, it just looked like a sweet little rom-com, but I, I, I'm kind of sold on maybe, it's actually pretty good. It yeah, is? It is. Okay. It's actually a pretty decent movie. Okay, so I'm going to check that out. So then it caps it off with a commercial for Epics, which I guess is a movie channel. Um, that is it still a movie channel? Yeah, I don't know. I was going to ask you guys. So Epics is is something that – is it defunct or is it still operating? Because it was like, oh, free movies, and they're showing there, Star there Trek Stars? There is an app that you can get for like Apple TV. I, the only reason I know this is because uh, Saint Maud came out recently, and it was exclusive to Epics. Okay. And I really wanted to see it, so I got the Epics app for the seven day free trial or whatever, just so I could watch Saint Maud, and then I canceled it. Oh, all right. Well, so they they were you know back then just uh, you gotta do Epics because you can see all the Star Trek movies. That I feel like that was the trailer they showed more than anything was. It's a subsidiary of MGM. So okay, well, there you go. And then so we get through the trailers, and I, I love this kind of aspect of um, some of the new media, but they do the DTS logo, so it's really there to show off the sound format. Because when you watch this thing, you're watching in the DTS sound. I mean, I, I love how the theaters, like the THX theaters, used to do their thing. Um, but even the Dolby Atmos ones that they do, oh, man, that, that gives me goosebumps. But I love the DTS logo, and it really just shows off your speakers. So I get through all of the trailers, and I get through the DTS logo, and then the movie starts. And so uh, watching this movie felt like... Um, sitting in the lobby waiting for your six-month uh, teeth cleaning at the dentist, in my opinion. Um, you're bored. So, however, you know that some uncomfortable shit is coming up. 
because you saw it the first time and you remember these scenes that stick out and you go, well, I know these are coming, but I got to get through this stuff to get to those scenes that are kind of powerful. Um, but you, you got to sit through this thing. You got to get through the lobby to get to the uncomfortable stuff so that when you get done with this whole trip, you can go back and eat candy. Um, and I think I feel like this because that's just supposed to do you have to get your teeth cleaned. I, I think so. Yeah. So, you, you know, you just floss and brush right before you go to the dentist, but you don't take care of your teeth before that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like that might be because it's my second viewing. But then when I thought about it, the first time I watched it, uh, I don't think I was all that impressed at either. I, I mean, for and here's why I bring up transgressive cinema at the beginning. Um, to me, this film is cold and boring and has a few interesting scenes. I don't think it's deep at all. And as a matter of fact, when you go back and look at the people who made this thing, you got a music video director, an advertising guy who's been around for 50 years and is the winner of advertising. I think they're good at putting interesting images out in a couple of things, but in terms of pure storytelling or even an attempt at transgressive cinema, I think it fails pretty miserably. Wow. I didn't see that coming at all. Wow. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Jonathan Glazer had said that he had no interest in because this is based on the book you mentioned. He had no interest in bringing the book to the to the screen. So clearly, um, have you so, read the book, Troy? Or no, Josh? I, I I read a little bit of the synopsis and not not close. Um, I have not read the book. I, I again, I've read the synopsis, uh, but you know, I, you can definitely see what Jonathan Glazer is going for here. I'll I'll be the first to say maybe it's not a very original movie, um, just in the sense that, like I said earlier, you can definitely see the the man influence who fell from, to Earth. Yeah, mm-hmm. saw yeah, that. Yeah, you can see the man who fell to Earth. Two thousand one. Yeah, saw that too. Two thousand and one. <laughs> you can see all of that stuff. Um, but I do I do like the aspect of it coming from you know an alien seeing the human now i have not seen the man who fell to earth so i don't know where they go in that movie um it's it's a travesty that i haven't seen it honestly but um but i i love the imagery that's going on here um that's where i really think the movie shines um storytelling there's not much of a story to tell i can absolutely agree with that uh but the imagery that it gives you along with going on this journey with this alien being is what really hooks me in. I, I don't know. I so here's my summation of it. So there's and you guys correct correct me if I'm wrong from a plot or like a sequencing perspective, but there's two parts to it. So the first half of the film is um, Scarlett Johansson driving around, uh, talking to guys. Then she picks up a guy and she takes off her shirt and kind of gets naked, but not really naked. Um, then the guy walks into black liquid. And so each of the black liquid sequences get freakier and freakier. And we'll talk about one of them that I think really is a standout in terms of imagery, but then she gets dressed and then drives around again and talks to guys. But I mean, you kind of get the picture it's rinse and repeat for the first half. Mm -hmm. Then she meets one individual decides to let him go. And that is the signal for the second half. So what, the first half, which felt like 16 hours. So after those 16 hours are done, 
you get to the second half and then it feels like eight hours of her trying to be normal, coughing up cake and then running around in the woods. And you get what I think is probably one of the worst endings that I've seen in a long time. Um, Oh shit. (laughs) Are you serious? Absolutely. But I I don't, again, I don't feel, I, I I feel like this person was Scarlett Johansson. I think is going for a very intimate and personal performance that is trying to show here's a blank slate and what happens when somebody grows a conscious conscience and becomes, I don't know, uh, cognitive of like what she's doing in the impl- implications and maybe even trying to integrate into the side society she's around. So I think there's something going on there, but all of the stuff around here, uh, around her and her performance doesn't seem to line up. And I, I feel like she's in a different movie than what Jonathan Glazer's doing. And to me, it again, it, it's cold. It does nothing for me. And if you were to tell me that there is some significant meaning in terms of, um, you know, an alien looking into our society and this is what that means, or I've even read stuff about, hey, it's not supposed to be some type of feminist statement, but here are some things that it's saying about feminism. I think that's all bullshit and it's not there at all. Um, I think it is a person who is good at commercials and a, good at music videos and is trying to put some what they think are interesting images up there. But if you have not seen a sci-fi film or transgressive cinema in the last 40 years, yeah, that would be original to you. But outside of that. Opinions vary. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, please educate me. Yeah. Okay. So you're oversimplifying the plot of this movie. I mean, I don't think yes. I am. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you're, you're cutting out like the whole first part with the van in the white room and, you know, kind of maybe there's, you know, her taking over another alien or, you know, that was just a girl there getting her clothes or whatever. The, the guy on the bike, you know, are we, what do we think of him? Like, I don't know because you are like simple oversimplifying this. It makes it hard to have a discussion on, you know, the biker and all the people and the hive and, you know, the ending, the ending (laughs) and like her figuring out that like the fact that she can't be human. um, I mean, that's obviously there. It's just weird to me that you've not, not giving this any sort of, credit to i i am trying but i think what you talk about in terms of me oversimplifying is me taking this thing at face value and and i'll i'll give you an example there is one image that sits with me and i think it starts to kind of i don't know get into that transgressive cinema it gives you it starts to poke at you a little bit and push your buttons but it's the abandoned baby So it's Uh when the husband is out there trying to save the wife. The wife is saving the dog. Dog drowns. She drowns. Husband's going out there. He drowns. You have this baby stranded there. Her reaction to that, everything that goes on there, and then even when that biker comes back later in the evening, the baby's just been sitting there just crying. Um, The parents are gone. The biker is there just cleaning stuff up, and they just totally walk around this baby. And the baby's trying to get up and walk, and it can't because it's a baby. That whole sequence is 
absolutely riveting and it's powerful and that imagery is trying to say something, I do think it captures something about the human condition. Um, and it is very, in my opinion, nihilistic, but that is like five minutes in this film that shine and the rest of it is not as nuanced or smart as those five minutes. The other sequence that I would say almost gets there is when you have two guys floating in that black liquid and the one is watching the other one slowly fade away. And then you get that husk of skin and it goes into sort of the red river goop. But that whole sequence I think is extremely powerful and it resonates with me. Those two scenes resonate with me and I could look at those scenes and go, dude, I think they knocked it out of the ballpark in trying to artistically from an imagery standpoint, really talk about something that is high art and really tug at the human condition. But those are two scenes out of what I think is just, um, what was the term you used last week? Navel staring? I, I, navel gazing. Navel gazing, yes. I, I do think the rest of it is, to be quite honest, that's why I use that sort of um, dentist analogy. It's, I got to get through the boring crap to get to those two scenes, which I think are just absolutely fantastic. And the rest of it just is boring. It doesn't hit that high pitch that those two scenes do. Well, I mean, I can understand where you're coming from. Um, and if you, if you're, if you're not finding something there, then I can see that it's, that it could be very boring. I mean, it's just like, I, I it, probably a similar thing that a, a, a typical moviegoer would be experiencing with this movie. Um, I like the challenge of, 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 of where they, where they're, again, they're not force feeding you anything. They're just letting you take this ride along. And yes, those two scenes specifically are the shining spots of this movie. I absolutely agree with you. Um, the, the, the baby on the shore is, is one of those that like, if this movie would be infamous for anything, I think it would be that scene. Um, that is the scene that my wife has come back to me days later and goes, I can't stop thinking about that scene. Like absolutely. That, it, yeah. it, it is absolutely just heartbreaking the, the way they, they play that. And then the, the, the other one that you talked about with the, the two guys in the goop, there's a specific moment of that scene that the first time I saw this movie scared the shit out of me. And it's, you know, you've got this guy looking at another guy who's obviously been there decomposing for yes. however long. And all of a sudden you hear this pop and his like, that's when the husk of skin just suddenly appears. And it's like, they've sucked every bit of, of being out of him and it got me. And, and yeah, it's a very, very strong scene. And it's another one of those that's played almost like 2001, um, very artistically. Um, I think what, what people are looking for here or finding in this is, is the, the commentary on feminism and things of that nature and how, females are viewed in society, whether it be, you know, England here, wherever. Um, but honestly, like when you really do dumb, when you do dumb it down, it really is just a story of an alien viewing a human, the human species. Um, but I kind of, again, like I'm, I'm, I'm there for the journey that that alien is going on. Um, you may find it boring. I find it interesting. Uh, it's just, I, I guess where we differ there. Um, 
I, I do like how in the beginning when she's getting the clothes from the girl, like we don't know, as Brad said, is that uh, an alien that she's that that an alien or is it a person? Is she, you've got all of these questions here. And then I even find it fascinating when she's just looking at the ant crawling on the body. She picks it up and looks at it in her fingers like I don't really know. I can't put my finger on what I like about her examining that. But it seems from the get go, she has a curiosity. And that curiosity gets the better of her. And it, it really, it's just sort of a curiosity killed the cat sort of scenario. Um, and she kind of goes down that path. The ending is very abrupt. Um, I understand why you don't like it. I don't know if I really enjoy the way the movie ends. I think I probably would like a little more there. But um, the ending, again, the ending I, doesn't say anything. I mean, at the end of it, I get that. And I, I like the analogy you just described, where if you go back and look at it again and say her fascination right at the beginning with this small ant ends up foreshadowing exactly what she is going to do through the course of the film. Mm-hmm. I, I like that string. I really like that. But between that and the second half of the film, that really doesn't exist up until the point, I think, and here, here's one part of the film I struggle with, and I'm, I'm really curious what you guys think, but it's the Adam Pearson exchange. So here is an individual, and I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I don't know why it feels exploitive. I don't know if it's meant to feel exploitive. I think his description of that loneliness and everything else, it rings so true. I mean, his performance is fantastic. And mm-hmm. I find that section so heartbreaking. Well, unfortunately, he's probably pulling from a lot of real life I guarantee scenarios. He is. Yeah. And and again, I I there's a part of me that goes Ooh, I kind of don't like that because I feel like there's an exploitive element from the filmmaker perspective, kind of capitalizing on his pain to a certain degree. But but you did see where they like were able to raise a lot of money for his some of his. He brought up. I mean, he was able to kind of doesn't matter. So okay, Uh, okay. no, he raised money for charity. I understand that, but I I get the whole behind the scenes. But you as a film viewer, so again. We investigate everything that happens behind a film and we know all like who directed this, who wrote the screenplay, give me all the stories and the filming and stuff like that. You don't know that going into it. So again, part of my brain goes, well, if you're the common viewer and you're looking at that, you kind of feel guilty for as exploitive that is. But then the other part to your point, Brad kicks in and goes, well, he, he did this for charity. He went on interviews and was talking about it. And to be quite honest, it's the most honest and heartfelt part of the film is that performance. So as where the other two scenes I talked about are the transgressive elements that leave an impact with me, that's the scene that kind of breaks my heart a little bit. So there are really three elements that get to me of this film. But again, I would go back to everything else around this film doesn't work. And when you get to that ending and you basically have her taking her skin off um, and looking at her face and then some guy comes up and like sets her on fire and then you're left with the motorcycle guy kind of still searching for her. to me it's okay that's an abrupt ending it's not poetic it's not visually stunning in my opinion it um there there's elements of it at the beginning when you see that black figure holding the husk and you starts to go there but then boom fire some guy looking out and you go Dude, you you had a chance to do something here. You you had three elements of this film that were just 
man, firing on all cylinders in terms of hitting maybe that transgressive element that was pushing your buttons, but nowhere else in this film. She was ultimately dispendable. The guy was in charge the whole time. Well, what you've got here, right? isn't that what it's telling us that she's ultimately just dispen- I don't know yeah, what it's she- telling you. It's I, again, I get the whole thing. You got to read into it. And I like those films. Don't get me wrong. I love that type of film, but I like that type of film when it gives me more things like those three elements that you find in this and it's peppered throughout the film versus, I mean, what is the runtime on this thing? Like two hours or 90 minutes? It's like a 108 minutes, 108 minutes. Okay. So out of 108 minutes, you probably have 15 to 20 minutes that are pretty striking. And then the rest of it is a slog to get through. Well, you have two things, you have two perspectives going on here, but they're the same perspective from go with me on this here for a second. I'm with you. You you've got two perspectives here of not understanding something. You or uh, you've got an alien who is struggling to understand humanity. And ultimately their understanding is 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 that things are not right. Um but you don't I should have put a little more thought into this before I started talking about it, but it's one of those where like we, we we're afraid of what we don't understand. Right. So she's afraid of what she's doing because she doesn't understand what she's doing it for. In a sense, the ending is in, is in a sense poetic in the way of the guy sets her on fire. He does not understand what's happening. He's afraid of what he does not understand. He's seeing something that he's never seen before case in point for her as well. So it's kind of an allegory for we're just so afraid of what we don't understand. We're willing to just throw it away or, or burn it or whatever, um, where she is actually on her journey. Now I will, I will agree for the first half of the movie. It's not really there. It's not until she physically hurts herself and realizes that she can feel pain and that humans can feel pain and why why am I doing this? I don't understand. Again, like she doesn't understand what, what, what her process is. Now I'm sure the book gets into way more detail of this from what I understand, but as the movie we're watching again, it doesn't force feed that to you. It doesn't hold your hand with it. So we're really just left watching her kind of progress to a point where she realizes that she needs to change her ways, but She's also in a place where people are going to fear what they don't understand and what happens to her happens to her. So I think there's a lot going on there, but maybe it's not translated to film very well. I can understand that. I I agree. And, and here's the thing, what I, what I want to make sure and I'm articulating is I think there are elements. I, I don't buy into this. You as a viewer, have to bring more to the film than what the filmmaker brings baloney. You're going to bring your, you, you already are going to have an unconscious bias um, based on your experiences, your past, everything else. So you as a film goer are going to look at something. And I really think, um, especially if we're talking about transgressive cinema. And again, I don't know if this is or not, but let's just for the sake of argument, say that it is then what you're trying to do is kind of give the audience something 
and get them to react to it, but you have to give them something. And I, I think that's for any film. You can't, as a filmmaker, go to it and say, well, I'm going to paint a broad canvas, and then everybody else has to bring their thing in order to connect the dots. Baloney. You may, not, you may have some intangibles, and you may have open-ended questions, and you can have all of that stuff, but you still have to, from some kind of pacing perspective, sprinkle throughout that whole 108 minutes something interesting to keep me going. Um, and again, I don't think it does that. I think it does it in a key, couple of key bright spots. And I, I'll add four because I didn't even pick up on the ant thing until you said it. So we got four going, but that's still not enough to keep me going. I, I actually think if you took 30 minutes out of this film, you wouldn't know it. You would go... Oh yeah, I, I still got the same stuff to it, and I think that's a problem. I, Troy, 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 boy, <laughs> I did not see this coming, so I'm a little bit bewildered. Now, okay, you don't think that some of those scenes stand out or make an impact because of the kind of the the low tones before it, you know? And then you hit that high. It's like, oh, there's a baby. It's all alone. You know, she doesn't even care. You know, and then oh, there's they're in the hive, and they're all of a sudden that guy's skin is the only thing that's left. Like, you know, you have to have that the the kind of that contrast between that really low sort of nothing going on, and then you hit the gas for a second, and then you're you're speeding along pretty well. Does that not play into any of the impact of those scenes where you know you're you're just kind of going along? <sighs> I don't, I, know, man. I don't. Like, I don't have to have a visceral assault every five but minutes. You act like there's no movie here. There I, is a movie I, here. I think there is a short film here. I think there is a. You can. There, there, there's, there's a, a commercial movie. Like, here. Can, I think there's a commercial here. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> you, yeah. But again, uh, so I, I understand that I am the frustrating. I'm the 55 percent that just went or the 45% who are like, dude, this is kind of silly. Um, and I, I'm not on board with the critics and everything else. Again, I actually think the reason why this did so well from a critical perspective is those three or four scenes that are in there kind of stand out. And in our vanilla type nature of movie going experience it is today. Yeah. Those four scenes like, man, they, they really assault your eyeballs and your senses to a certain degree. But Did you I, notice like the spaceship at the beginning of the movie with the lights? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's all the subtle stuff that's there. Look, yeah. if if you're you, trying, you don't appreciate having some of that stuff like sprinkled around where you're just like, I already oh, know. Okay, she, I, I see. I already know she's an alien. What what do I need like sprinkled spaceship, dude? What are you hinting at? Like, yes, there's a spaceship in the background. I know it's an alien. But I didn't visually, do it. <laughs> visually, it wasn't impressive. Again, I thought I thought it was. I thought it looked. Pretty cool, and, oh, and oh, well, let me ask you. You this. know, they don't hit you over the head like, oh wow, it's a spaceship. Well, I don't need you to know? be hit over the edge, but I, I need to be given something. I mean, I think I think what makes this film work is its subtlety, in my opinion. Um, not not hitting you over the head with things. Again, like I said, I like going on this journey with with the alien. Um, <laughs> I was going to try and spark some controversy here and say, do you like two thousand and one? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, well. I could make the same argument for that movie. There's a lot of very boring things about that movie, but I can ultimately kind of get on board with what bores me in a sense of 
I'm going on this journey and I don't really know where it's taking me, but I I'm, I'm loving certain aspects of it. Um, now I'm not, I'm not saying that 2001 is a bad movie whatsoever, but it's definitely one of those that I had to get acclimatized to and kind of put the pieces together. I still have a hard time watching it in the beginning and, and, and going, those are not real apes. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like um, for this movie that's such, such a mindfuck and, 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 and blows people's minds, it's like one of the only things I can focus on in that movie is, is those, are, those are dudes in ape outfits. Um, so it, it's easy to get lost in that kind of thing. So, I mean, we could pick any movie apart like that. Yeah, um, I remember, I remember seeing There Will Be Blood in the theater and someone got up and left 15 minutes into it because – first 20 minutes or so Daniel Day Lewis is just walking around. Yeah. I mean, I could really, I'm glad you brought that movie up. Cause I mean, it, it kind of sort of has the same sort of feel as this movie, in my opinion, like there's not a whole lot of story there and there's only key points of that movie that really kind of strike me, but I still think that movie is fantastic. Like when you saw this, Troy, were you not thinking, Oh, I want to talk to them about this scene or this scene or what do they think about the motorcycle guy or, or, you know, nothing. No, I mean, at, at the end of the day, the, the couple of scenes that I would want to talk about would be the, the child by the beach. And um, again, really dissect that sequence of the two men floating. Cause to your point, Josh, I mean that, that snap that happens from a sound effect, it, it just gets me every time. But even the other imagery of him reaching out and touching him and trying to hold hand. I mean, again, the way that is positioned and the way that it's filmed, it really hits me. But I, I, what's weird to me is again, I don't need everything to be a high. Um, and I, I get the whole, you need to have some subtlety and you need to have that, but it all comes down to subjectively, does it work for you? You can throw 2001, you can throw, um, I'm trying to think of another good one. Well, I mean, the man who fell to earth or silent running. I mean, you're right. We can go through all of these. The Revenant, the Revenant's another one. The Revenant's another one. Um, I think there are all of these films that it comes down to the, the craftsmanship of what's happening from a cinematography standpoint or the combination of the film versus the music. So as an example, what Stanley Kubrick was doing um, with the Blue Danube versus like what was happening on the screen, that makes it interesting. This just was always missing something for me. It's almost like trying to line a couple of things up and all of a sudden it hit and you go, oh yeah, now, now it works. And then all of a sudden it goes out of sync a little bit and you know they're searching and I know they're trying to go for that subtlety. I know, oh, here's a spaceship in the background. Here's her falling down and she kind of getting acclimated to the fact that people are going to help her out. Um, you know, her experiencing kind of sex for the first time and her reaction to it. It's kind of like, okay, there are some scenes that they're trying to do something or her walking down the steps of the castle. I get that. They're trying to do something here. It is subtle. But it doesn't jive for me. It doesn't. And I don't think it's either filmed really well or Scarlett Johansson's performance. And I I hate saying this for an actress I absolutely love. Maybe her performance isn't as good to convey that subtlety in those scenes as it is in other scenes. But I know what they're going for in those scenes. I know what they're going for in those low moments. But for me, um, from a filmmaking perspective, it's not as good as all the other movies that you just 
talked about. So if, if you wanted to go one-to-one and go, well, let's go with this one, Daniel Day-Lewis versus Scarlett Johansson. Daniel Day-Lewis okay. wins, right? Um, okay. You want to go 2001. You want to go, go Kubrick um, versus this film, uh, any of Kubrick's films? I, I mean, let's go because I think quantitatively and from an artistic standpoint – um, this thing puts it to shame. Like 2001 will, will just trump this thing head over heels. This one tries. It really does try, but I don't think it's good enough to keep my interest as a film viewer outside of those three or four key elements. Can we at least pretend to talk about some of the stuff and no, what I, we think I'm things curious. mean about? <laughs> so as an example, what Josh said with the ant thing, it's like, cool, awesome, I got that. Um, maybe I'll like this film on the third or fourth viewing, whatever it is. I just, I feel like, again, um, seeing it the first time, I remember why I wasn't so impressed and it was, oh yeah, there were, I remember those three or four things. They were really good in it, but the rest of it just doesn't resonate with me. But I am curious to hear what else, like, um, I don't know, deep meaning, um, or human condition. You don't have to be so condescending, you I, dick. <laughs> I, I am being condescending because I don't think it exists. And if you're trying to put it on there, I would again go back to it and say, yeah, for, for a stylized commercial, I think you're adding more than what's actually there. But go ahead. You're going to do this in good faith or you're just going to be a jerk about no, I'm it? Gonna, I'm going to be in good faith. I, I, I Hey, okay. I'm, I'm the first one that said, hey, the ant thing, I'm good for it. But if I sound like a condescending dick, eh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay um i don't even know where i want to begin because you're not going to be earnest about it i so. am earnest i am i am 100 a blank slate you teach me brad i'm not going to teach you anything i just think it's interesting the way they kind of show her character progression as you know falling down and people showing that they like actually care and she doesn't need to use sex to get people to care about her or want to help her. I mean, that stuff is, it, it worked for me because I, the way they show it, it's like, it's not like, and again, when you know, like the way they, they filmed it, real people like cared for this woman who just fell down and it's like, okay, like that makes me feel good about humanity. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 the guy who, you know, um, was this Adam Pearson is his name? Yes. Is that his real name? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of broke her in a way that this yeah. guy was so lonely and he, you know, he, he hadn't ever felt cared for. And, you know, sadly, you know, the, the, the bad guy or what we call him the bad man, you know, had to come and take care of him because she wasn't able to do it. Um, you know, that means, something the way that you know another guy just sees her on a bus and is like hey are you okay and doesn't immediately try to have sex with her but like actually cares for her um you know all that stuff is like but you know her inability even to have cake it's just i don't know i i i dig that stuff where it's just she is a fish out of water who wants to learn to swim and she can't right and I think what may be hurting some aspect of this film, and, and it was an artistic choice, is the, the use of non-actors. And I think they spend a lot of time with that, with Scarlett Johansson driving around in the van, trying to pick people up. I think that also builds her character, because every time she attempts to go after someone, 
if someone is near or if she sees someone like she instantly gets spooked, like she does not know how to handle that situation. So she's learning, that is like, she didn't want any witnesses in a way. Right. Like she knows that that's probably something that could come back to, to be bad for her. Yeah. That's why uh, she's always asking men if like, Oh, are you alone? Do you live alone? Do you have a girlfriend? Yeah. Is there anybody that, that would like, care for would, you? Would yeah. miss you? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and those are the people, and and it seems that she's the one praying. You know, I love the the the, uh, the imagery of her with the fur coat, almost like she's the predator stalking the prey. Those kind of things, even with the makeup and going to the mall and and dressing up and like she knows exactly what she has to do to prey upon these things. But again, she she does not understand the human condition. So as she goes through this, she's learning more and more, and even with. I, you know, they don't get into this, unfortunately, but like how her wearing the human skin affects her physicality. And does she feel pain because of that? Uh, all of those sort of things like, and again, they leave it all ambiguous for, for, for discussion. And, and that's, that's what ultimately that I like about it. Um, I don't know if there has to be a grandiose sort of thing going on for me to care about her or care about what's going on. I am just entranced in how they're moving this along and what she's, what she is learning and what we ultimately don't learn is because we fear what we don't understand. Is, is that the theme? So I don't necessarily need a movie and I prefer a movie not to preach to me a grandiose theme. I do like the movies that really pose interesting questions that make me become um, self-reflective and say, hey, on that theme or on that topic, this film is asking this question and I'm trying to, uh, I guess, answer it from a personal level. So from your perspective, is this film, because you keep talking about um, one of the themes being, you know, people fear what they don't know and they react to it. Another thing that you talked about, Brad, was, well, here is a film that's sort of displaying that at its core, humans are good, and here's an alien experience in that, whatever. But if you were to um, look at the themes that are within this film or the question that it's trying to ask, what would you say it is? Hmm. Riveting podcast. Yes. <laughs> question because so, silence. Silence. That is the question <laughs> I asked myself was what was it that this film was trying to ask me or what was it trying to show me? And to your point, Brad, and like I said, I think all of those are valid points. I think um, everything that you're talking about in terms of how people reacted in these situations, they obviously had her fall down and they, they, you know, some people took pictures, some people helped her out, some people. So they're waiting for that response to kind of go, oh, that one we captured on film. That's the one we want to show. And to your example, here's a person towards the end of the film that uh, generally is concerned with her and doesn't want to, you know, take advantage of her, et cetera, takes care of her, ultimately has sex with her. And then you get into another person that not only wants to have sex, but, you know, basically take advantage of her. And then he's the person that ends up burning her. Spoiler alert. So I do think there are moments within this film that it's trying to say something, or maybe that there's a question. Again, I go back to that baby on the beach scene. 
I think it is trying to really get you to look at what's going on and, and maybe ask something about the dog is drowning, the wife is going for the dog, the husband's going for the wife, all of them are dead. You have a baby at the side of this ocean and everybody else is just ignoring it and it's trying to fend for himself. To me, that that's a haunting image and it does make me ask a lot of questions about the world, right? Well, why is it called under the skin? I, I, I think that's a great question, but I don't know. Um, I think it goes through and tries to throw everything in the kitchen sink in it, but I don't know if there's a common question or theme throughout this whole thing. And if it's under the skin in terms of there's a commonality under the skin or something of that nature, I, I don't know if, if that's what it's going for. I don't think it does, for me, a great job of raising that question. But I'm curious what you guys walked away from it. And I take that silence as one of those things where it's like, hey, look, if, if you struggle with what this thing is trying to ask you or present to you, then I would say that the movie has some flaws. Well, I think it's juggling a lot of those at one time. I don't know. I, I, I can't really pick out like it's this, this, and this. So it's definitely, because again, it's, it's kind of my personal sort of take. I mean, I think there's a, it's purposely called under the skin for a reason. Um, Which, now, does it do a good job of kind of saying, "Hey, humanity is is you know this under our skin"? You know, there's you know there's a reason why one of the good guys is a white guy, and the bad guy is a white guy as well. I, I, it's also in Scotland, so they're all white. But yeah, you know, I was say. <laughs> it's saying, "Hey, here's a good guy who cares. He's a white guy. This guy burns you alive. He's a white guy. It doesn't really matter, you know, on the surface or their skin." They're the same kind of person, but on the inside, they're vastly two different people. Yeah, and again, if that's what you get out of this, I think this movie's a resounding success for you from a viewer perspective. For me, and, and again, that's the great thing about trans, and I, I, I don't know what you guys would label this. I would label this as an attempt at transgressive cinema. Um, I don't know if it's successful for me, but the thing about transgressive cinema, I think it has to be subjective and come from a personal standpoint. There are very few films that's transgressive for everybody, right? Um, but for this one, there are elements that I think hit uh, that definition, but I don't think it's a very successful element for it. But I'm glad for you guys. Like, I'm not sitting here trying to tear you guys down and going, well, this is stupid and therefore you like it, hence you're stupid. That's not my point to this. I'm trying to say subjectively as a film goer, um, it, it kind of goes back to that sunshine thing. Now, sunshine, it took me like eight or nine viewings to kind of take a step back and go, I, I don't think I like this anymore. Under the skin, it took a second viewing. And, but even on the first viewing, I was like, well, it, it's kind of pedestrian. It, it hits a couple of highs, but outside of that, not that impressed. And of course, the second viewing, it was like, whoa, yeah, I, I really had to struggle to get to the scenes that I liked. Well, also, I mean, it stars one of the most attractive people of our era, and it's like the least sexy movie you can imagine. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, I know, but like, it, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where you would think that sexuality would play such a role in this movie, and the lack of sexuality is like one of these things It's like I, I don't really can't explain it. But it like it resonates. I mean, I don't need to. I don't need to be able to explain everything. I don't know how we got to the moon. I couldn't explain to you how 
you know, of rocket course science not. We, works. We don't like science. We've clearly... but I but I know that yeah. we got to the moon and it was awesome. I you know I, again I I can equate that to saying like I don't know exactly what it means or even if it was on purpose. But to me, the fact that they had this woman and then they just literally take all the sexuality out of it and he, she's still able to kind of you know seduce these men and all this. It's you know I, I think. Things like that, that you just, it kind of resonates with you because it kind of goes against your thought process, your normal thought process. Well, I don't know what you guys think about. I don't think this movie's about, like, has anything to do with sex or sexuality or anything. I think what this movie's trying to get to is about the connection between people. The the people that she is picking up and taking back, et cetera, at a surface level, it may be about sex, but underneath it, and again, going to your point, Brad, about the title it may mean more about what people are trying to connect with at their core versus, and, and sex may be a mechanism to it. But again, I don't know if it successfully dissects that question or presents it in such a way um, that makes it interesting. And would you think like if aliens came to our planet, like just as like an exercise, like if an alien came to our planet, what would they use to manipulate people to get what they wanted? I don't know, but if you want me to get really controversial, I find Coneheads more provocative than this thing. You just do say that because Josh is here. <laughs> but Coneheads has a lot more to say that's interesting on immigration than this thing has on nibs, anything else. Nibs, nibs, unacceptable. <laughs> oh, boy. I know. I, and again, I I'll, I will tell you guys this. Like, Josh's little uh, tidbit about the ant and looking at that. I think this is one of those films that I could, again, go back and watch, get a little bit more of it. It's going to be a while um, because to me, I don't find this film pushing my buttons and it's like, well, I can't watch it because it's transgressive. It's one of those where it to me is just boring um, and trying to get through the boring films is harder, but I would like to revisit it and dissect it. Hell, this is one of those films to be quite honest, no BS. I would love to watch it in a room with you two and us talk about it as it's going and you guys pointing out things as it's going on and going through a dissertation. And like I said, I, I don't mean to come off as dickish or anything saying I'm not open to all this. I'm totally open to it, but I'm open to it to sit down and watch this film with you two and walk through it. And you guys walk me through what it is that I should be experiencing or noticing. Um, and then we, we can discuss it from that perspective. Well, you also said that this is this is also something that can be subjective. Yes. Um, so, I mean, to to kind of play into something someone we've brought up already, like David Lynch, I I don't know if I fully understand what's going on in a lot of David Finch uh, David Lynch films, um, but it's that it's that journey that I'm taking to get there. Um, there's a lot of things that I find very boring about some of that filmmaking, and maybe and and there's definitely aspects of some of his movies that really play into the movies like do not play into the movies at all like there's no there's no uh storyline that can that that you know concedes at the end with it or anything of that nature but it's there and i have to process it somehow uh but again i like that challenge i like the ambiguity of that and that's ultimately what kind of ropes me in and and makes me enjoy movies like his or this one or 
you know, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. I mean, he had a hit with Drive, but if you've watched any of other of Nicol- Nicholas Winding Refn's stuff, um, it's challenging. He doesn't, you know, it, it kind of falls into the same category of all these other movies we've talked about. Um, but the only God forgives in this movie are kind of. Yeah, I, I could see a very strong connection with those two. Yeah, and Only God Forgives is another one that on the surface, uh, after seeing Drive and when Only God Forgives came out, I was so pumped to see another Nicholas Winding Refn movie. And Only God Forgives was an absolute like letdown for me. But going back and watching it a few times and kind of digging into what I'm watching and, and, and playing around with some of the theories that I've heard thrown around – it changed my perspective on that. So I honestly think, I know you've seen it a couple of times now, Troy, but it's one of those that where, where the more I watch under the skin, the more I find things about it that I enjoy. Now, whether or not those are uh, uh, storylines or just visual aspects, you know, that differs from, from watch to watch, but I genuinely tend to find something that I didn't notice the last time, each time I watch it. And can I ask you, you all a question on how you watched or how like after what you did, like, did you all look at stuff about meanings of, of things after you saw this movie? No, no, okay. I did not either. Cause I, you know, I was tempted to, but I didn't want it to kind of cloud my sort of thought process on this movie because I feel like as soon as you start, you know, going out and researching and saying and looking for meanings and, and that just kind of starts to persuade you a bit. So, right. I didn't want to do that. But, you know, you know, Troy, you didn't care. So, you know, (laughs) I wasn't I cared. I I actually spent a good couple of days um, trying to figure out and articulate. And again, it it was driving me crazy because of those specifically those two scenes we talked about. Why do I gravitate to those two scenes and find them so powerful? But yet the rest of the movie is just a dud to me. I really wrestled with that for a good two days to the to the fact that I went back and watched some things that I, I thought, well, maybe I just didn't get the ending or maybe there were just some sequences that there's something there, but I'm missing. And even when I went back to watch sections and, and again, um, I don't know if you guys have done this full disclosure. This is a film. You cannot go back and watch sections. Like I actually think it hurts it. If you were to go back and say, well, I'm going to watch chapter 14 on the Blu-ray. It is something you have to kind of watch from beginning to end in, in its, I don't know, entirety. I think in order to appreciate it. But the thing that was driving me nuts is why are these two sequences so good and so powerful, but the rest just, I'm sitting there going, I don't know why it's so cold. And for something that should be transgressive in nature and what it's trying to, I don't know, ask or kind of um, push my buttons on, why why is it not resonating? And this is one of those, like I said, Brad, I, I didn't know where you were going to land or you, Josh. I had an inkling, Brad, that as soon as I watched this, I'm like, oh, well, I kind of know why Brad picked this is because it is a non-traditional narrative. It, it's the stuff that I think you and I both like. I mean, that's why we did a podcast called The Pretension. We like these kind of films. And I, and I love these kind of films. But I, and I don't know how you guys are. These type of films, I am way more critical of than um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Hard Target. Like Hard Target, to me, is, is a 10 out of 10 just because it's dumb fun and it's not trying to do anything except like punch you know, snakes in the bayou. Um, and, and it's awesome. So therefore, by default, it's an amazing film. But when I come to this film and I go, okay, I know you as an artistic director, and I know Scarlett Johansson is one of the best actresses that have ever lived, in my opinion. Okay, 
you get graded a little bit harsher because you are going for things that probably tackle the human condition versus Jean-Claude's, you know, my mama called me chance because I took one kind of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about Scarlett Johansson's performance for a second because, yes, uh, to, for for someone of her caliber who has done the movie she has, she's won Oscars or been nominated, whatever, um, like you, you also have to think about the aspect of the filmmaking of this movie non-actors literally driving around Scotland, picking people up that they do not know from anywhere. Um, I think she actually gives a pretty good performance in the sense that she's dealing with people and having no preconceived notion of how they're going to react to her. Um, what's going to happen once she gets in a vehicle with these people. Um, I think she does very well at staying calm and reserved and being, um, in the moment with these people. And I think that really sort of helps her character in this movie. I don't think she needs to be at 10 on this or, or giving an Oscar worthy performance. I think she kind of fits exactly the mold that they were going for. And it's, it's kind of what you're elaborating to Troy is sort of stiff and, and not much there because that's, who she is essentially, but you see her progress throughout this. And ultimately, tragically, it, it ends her up dead, but you know. <laughs> I, I think she's really good. I, I don't know if she's stiff. So there's moments where she is very stiff, especially when she's on the prowl, right? You see uh -huh. that cold glaze and I think it works great. And then when she's interacting with these on actors, she becomes very charming and personable. And again, right. I would go back to that sequence with, um, uh, is it Pearson? Adam Pearson, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so heartbreaking, but she's so good in that, and you feel that connection between those two. So I, I think she's kind of the highlight of the film, given that there's not much to work with. I, I would be surprised, and again, I didn't do a lot of research on this outside of really wanted to um, understand what Scarlett Johansson... I, I specifically gravitated to like interviews of her and her experience making this film, but I'm wondering how much was improv improvised, how much of a script was there. Obviously, they derailed from you know the book, and the director was not interesting interested in replicating that for the big screen. But I'm really curious, like I said, what did Scarlett Johansson have to go after? Because you, you get three um, sequences, which is her being on the prowl, her being very charismatic and charming to lure people back, and then that second half, which is her trying to figure out why she's caring and why she kind of wants to go off of her mission or whatever it is and sort of integrate into the population. I think she gives an amazing performance. She's fantastic in it, but I think she's, she's really on her own from that perspective. Like I said, and I think I said this in the beginning, I think what she's doing is kind of interesting, but it, something around her, all the stuff that's going on around her just isn't as interesting or just feels kind of out of place uh, again subjectively well i mean you kind of made it sound like this movie had maybe not resonated with you but impacted you enough to where you thought about it for long periods of time right uh only because of my frustration with it so i don't want you to think that it like resonated with me in terms of oh that was uh, yeah it it, it, it it transgressive cinema should resonate with me with like ooh, i need a shower or um wow that really got me thinking about this thing in my life or the thing in the world I, I was struggling with it because I, I was really trying to figure out like there are pieces I I hate saying this word, but there are pieces I love about this film. 
but maybe that's where my frustration comes from is that as a whole, it doesn't work for me at all. Yeah. yeah. I sometimes I think good art does that to you. You're allowed to love and hate. Possibly, but it. it's not even hate. I mean, I almost think love and hate are kind of the same thing. I mean, biologically, yeah, they are. having a strong reaction to something, but it's and, not a reaction. It's, there are things I love about this and there are other things that I feel like I'm, I, I just down to bottle of NyQuil. I mean, it, I feel nothing about it. So yeah, I, that's I, I, would, I would not say that this movie is not boring. Like it is, it is a boring movie at times. And I think, you know, it, it you're right. Like maybe you cut off some time, but I, you know, at some point in time, I think the art of it becomes a little less effective if you start cutting things and not getting those lows out of the way for those big moments that you enjoy. I think they have to have that that contrast. I, I agree, but maybe, maybe, and I know I came out swinging on you guys, but maybe my point out of whatever two hours you've been talking about this or an hour is that the highs are really good, the lows aren't interesting. If you could find better lows that I don't, I don't need them to be at the level of the highs, but they need to be better nuanced. They, they need to keep me engaged. I would have re I would have been on cloud nine with you guys on how much, you know, this movie is, is just fantastic. But to me, the highs work, the lows don't work. That, that, that's fair. I mean, I absolutely understand where you're coming from there. Um, I just, uh, the lows, the, the lows don't get low enough for me to, to make it not work for me. Yeah. And I, I figured out of the three of us, one of us was not going to enjoy it. Well, I'm glad we didn't. I mean, because I, like, I, yeah, you just, it's hard. It's hard. This movie, when I was done with it, I'm like, one of us is not going to like it. <laughs> but that, that's, that's why I like talking about this films. Like I, I really love this type of cinema um, because it would be a stupid and boring podcast if the three of us got on here and said, here's pretentious cinema, here's transgressive cinema, and let us just tell everybody how awesome these scenes are, or how these performances, et cetera. It does not make a good conversation unless somebody, and, and of course I'm you know, the dick this time, comes on the show and goes, this, is, this just doesn't make sense, it's not working, let's debate it. To me, that actually by default makes this good cinema because it is not universally praised. Is this the part where you tell us you were acting the whole time and you actually really love it? You just wanted to have a really good <laughs> podcast discussion? No. I, I, okay. I, and I, I mean, I no. <laughs> sorry. I, 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 I know I'm breaking your heart, Brad, but no, I mean, in, in part to Troy's defense a little bit, I mean, I will say I've, I've had my notes that I took for the film up on the screen the entire time. And I have, five things that I wrote down. <laughs> and one of them is the, the opening scene, which I consider the birth of, of, of Scarlett Johansson's character, the score, the shore scene, the jump scare and Kubrick and Lynch. That's all I wrote down for this movie. Yeah. But uh, it, it doesn't make it work any less for me. It's just like those, those are the key things that I think work for this movie for me. And, just so happened to be the things that Troy thinks works for this movie. Um, the rest of it doesn't work for him. It does for me that, I mean, that's, that's just the joys of being a film lover, I guess. As you've got we can all agree things. though. The music yeah. works for them. Correct. The music yes. is amazing in this movie. Yes. Like yep. maybe one of the best, like it was it's almost good. to the point where I was like, Oh my, this is so good. It's so good. It's good. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I throw amazing out there, but like I, for the industrialness of it. And so, I, I just think it's great. 
Well, it's it's one of those things that it got me through the lows, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I did I did appreciate the soundtrack for that portion of it because I, I do think it's it's haunting. It's very moody. The industrial aspects are great. I, I think um, it really added I, I don't know how to say this, but it, it worked in its favor, but it also worked against it a little bit. When the when the movie just felt cold and I, I wasn't getting anything out of it. I don't think the music helped in that perspective, but then there are other times where I, I think it really was a nice juxtaposition of what was going on on screen. Yeah. You do know this movie is supposed to be cold, right? You keep saying it's cold and it's like, yeah, that's the point of it. It's why it's in Scotland. And so cold, probably uh, by personal cold. So when I'm, when I'm using the term cold again, the, the reason why I started the whole discussion with transgressive cinema is I think this type of cinema is supposed to have a personal and visceral reaction to, to some degree. Um, maybe not for the whole runtime, but you're supposed to be drawn into it and be fascinated and, um, you know, feel personable may not be the right word, but for this type of cinema, cold is, is the wrong reaction. Like you don't want to be apathetic. You don't want to kind of go, Hey, I don't really care what's going on. And, and maybe apathetic is a better word than cold because okay. again, I just, I think there are elements of it where I, and, and I had this thought and I go, wow, this feels like sort of an artsy kind of slick commercial element to it. Um, you know, the eyeball sequence in the beginning, I'm like, well, here we go. You know, another Kubrick wannabe and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when I went back and did some research yesterday, so I was kind of like you, Brad, I, I watched it and I went to sit on it. But what I was sitting on it was I was struggling with why I was just not on board loving this thing. Um, and when I went back and found out that it's like, okay, well, the director, I knew the two films he did. I didn't know he was doing all the music videos and commercials. And then when you find out one of the other screenwriters is an advertising exec, I'm like, hey, I kind of feel that in the film to a certain degree. I'm at a loss for words with you, Troy. <laughs> Come on. You still love me, no, though, I right? I do. I okay. Do. Well, what else? What is this else what it feels like about? to be on the other side? <laughs> yes, this is exactly what it feels uh, like when we talked about Remo Williams. So defeated. <laughs> well, what else? What, I, what else do you guys want to talk about? Ask me the question, Troy. All right. Well, so the podcast is called Not a Bomb. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious where I'm going to land, but for 2013's Under the Skin, I'm going to start with our guest, Josh, because Josh can't say this enough. I'm super excited to see your face on screen and to just hear your voice. You guys need to get back to just recording that that podcast. I'm I need more, but uh, okay, I'm I'm done with my little tirade there. Josh, hmm. 2013's Under the Skin, is it a bomb? It's not a bomb, in my opinion. It, uh, it it's an it's an art film that may be misunderstood. Uh, or just isn't for everyone, but I I feel like Jonathan Glazer made a very striking film. Uh, Scarlett Johansson I think is is great in it. I think the visuals in it really work for me. The the score works for me, um, but it, it may not work for everyone. So in in my opinion, not a bomb. Okay, Brad. Same question to you. Under the skin, is it a bomb? I agree with Josh. This is not a bomb. I, I think this one of those movies that will get a reaction out of you, uh, either one side or the other. Um, and it, it it definitely is one of those where it is frustrating at times. But you know, I, I didn't get my opinion on the ending. I actually really like the ending. So uh, you know, we have three different people, and we all like different things about the movie. We all hate different things about the movie. So 
you know, it's definitely one of those. And we all have those that you could kind of get in a room of people and you're going to get vastly different opinions. So not a bomb. All right. Well, I'm going to cut back the hyperbole and I'll say it this way. I think the movie is a bomb for me because as possibly an element of transgressive cinema, it, it doesn't really do it for me. There are aspects I like about it, but overall, I don't think it works. However, I'll say this. There are two things that um, are not a bomb about this film. The first one is Scarlett Johansson. I, I think it's proof positive. She's probably the best actor or actress. And I'm, I'm not just putting her under, you know, one column. But if you're looking at all actors and actresses out there, to me, she's, she's one of the best ones working. Secondly, I really enjoy this movie for the simple fact that even though I don't think it works, I think it's a great film to watch with like-minded people and have a discussion just like what we did. This is the type of movie we need to be making more of. It's not going to be a hit with everybody, but we really need to, you know, kind of test the boundaries of storytelling and make sure that cinema isn't vanilla and it doesn't sort of, um, we make one piece of celluloid or digital print that sort of fits the entire audience. We need a little bit more um, art and we need a little bit more um, divisive imagery. Um, not divisive in the sense that it's counterproductive to the culture, but um, just images and storytelling that make you question the human condition and uh, really sort of push the limits on certain topics and, and really make you question things in general of what's going on in the world. So that's why I do like this. And, and again, I'll talk about these and watch these all day long, even though half of the time I won't agree with it or think it works. And then the other half, I'll love it. But that that's, these are the kind of movies I love hundred percent. And, and these movies are out there. Um, unfortunately, they're just not, popular with people i mean a lot of people want to go to the movies and eat popcorn and be entertained and these are not the kind of movies for that these are the kind of movies that are best sitting on a couch maybe with some friends watching it talking about it theorizing about it um and i i love that more than more than a blockbuster at this point in my life i've seen so many blockbusters in my life that i'm so inviting of this type of film now um, there are some that don't work for me. There are some that do. Um, I mean, as highly regarded as 2001 is, I have a hard time getting on board with that movie a lot of the time. Um, but I think that's kind of, kind of the point of that movie is, is it's not supposed to be for everybody. It's supposed to be one of those where you have to think about it and, and maybe, digest what's going on there and really kind of sink into it. So, uh, and, and if people don't enjoy that kind of thing, that's fine. That That's absolutely fine. It's just, that's the things that, that really just sort of strike my fancy nowadays. All right. I don't know yeah. if we could have a two hour and 10 minute conversation about infinity war. As much as I love that movie, you're not having a two hour conversation about that movie. Oh, I agree hundred percent. Right. And, and like I said, any day when, when we get in the same city and we're on the same couch and we get to be in a room, I would love to watch this film with you guys and just kind of go through it again and have a discussion while it's going on. So I think this is, I, I love film that can be experienced and not just experienced in terms of watching it, but experienced in terms of kind of sitting down and dissecting it with, with, you know, other people who love cinema. So, um, I'm, I'm still calling it a bomb because it doesn't work for me, but I, I have to say this, you know, especially the titles we talked about at the beginning, 
I, I kind of want to make a full disclosure. If you're a casual movie watcher, do not go out and look for martyrs or frontiers <laughs> or anything that we talked about. Okay. Stay far away from them. However, definitely not a Serbian film. I do not. Nobody needs to seek that movie out. Yeah. So I, I do not. I, and that's the type of film I would never recommend to any of it. I mean, I love, I saw the devil, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not one I'm just recommending to the casual moviegoer. But if, if you like adventurous films, if you understand the type of movies we're talking about, there's some good recommendations. Although, um, I can't vouch for a Serbian film because of what I've read about it, and I, I have no interest in seeing it. But some of these others, I I would like to go check out Gummo, even though I've, I've never seen it. But, um, yeah, there, there's some things that you just kind of, yeah, I'll dip my toes into, and others you you stay far away. But it's a good it's a good topic, man. I, I love that we went into sort yeah. of this subgenre. So, Brad, we actually had an email come through from our good friend Sammy um, based on an older episode. Do you want to? Yeah, this is in response to Chinese in Serenity. Uh -oh. So I love Whedon's uh, reasoning was all, oh, I believe Whedon's reasoning was always that the Chinese would eventually outnumber all other societies and we would start to speak Chinese more and more. Doesn't excuse the casting, but I would uh, say that was probably Fox. Also that theme song, you're going to tell me it's worse than two and a half men. Yeah, it probably is. I don't hate the Firefly theme, but I don't love it either. I don't remember the Oh, do you the man, that? the man, man, man. Is that the two and a half men theme song? I don't know. I can't, I can't. I don't know. I never saw an episode of two and a half I, men. I so. haven't either. I, okay. it was nothing, but no, I'm still going to contend that that theme song for Firefly was horrible, but yep. again, as John, John pointed out on, on the, I think on the show, we, we think we understand where the Chinese came from. And, and as Sammy says, we think that's the intention of it, but come on, Fox. Yeah. If if you're gonna do that, put some Chinese actors in there. For goodness sakes, there's some good ones out there, like <laughs> Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, if anybody wants to comment on this week's film, Under the Skin, or if they, I, I don't know, want to kind of give us some more recommendations, we've been getting some good ones. How do they reach out to us? That's not a bomb pod at gmo.com. Uh, not a bomb podcast on all social media. Yeah, I'm curious on where people fall on this film, if they've actually seen it and what they think of it. Absolutely. Please write in. I, I, I'm, I guarantee, given some of the listeners, they're going to fall into you know you and Josh's camp, and I, I want to hear about it. I want to hear all of the things and all the interpretations that come from it, because this is the type of film that does that. But I got to tell you, Brad, this, this was a pretty heavy film, so I feel like for next week, since it's my pick, we're going to go in an entirely opposite direction. And as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about a film that was recommended by a listener um, that won our book, My Year of Chevy. And we're going to talk about next week, uh, 1990s Quick Change, and it stars Bill Murray, Gina Davis, Gina Davis again, I'm so excited, Yeah, Randy Quaid, and what's interesting about this is it was directed, it was, it was a co-directing job here of Howard Franklin and none other than Bill Murray. So this was a recommendation from one of our listeners, uh, came out in 1990, I'm super excited, it's a comedy heist film. So we're gonna we're gonna lighten it yeah. up after doing first first game. time for me, first time watch for you. Yes, awesome. I actually had not heard of this film. It's funny, you know, I hadn't heard about this film, and literally since the day I it was recommended, I've seen it like a hundred times. You know, it's getting released on Blu-ray now and all this stuff. So it's funny that it's coming to my life in such a big way. So I finally get to see it. That's awesome. So Josh, 
the move is done. Uh, when are you guys recording? I know you've got some episodes that are have been laying around that you've been releasing, but I, I need my fix, man. What's going on? <laughs> um, we have a horror section episode coming out. It actually will be up tomorrow, so you can get your fix Sweet. tomorrow morning. Um, Tuesday. We That's we. A Sorry. Yeah, I, we got a little behind on editing since I had moved, so I, I finally got that episode edited, and, and it will be up tomorrow. Um, we did the Shutter uh, original host, uh, so that was a, a fun little watch, and we decided to get on and talk about it. We'll also be doing. We've done a couple of list episodes recently. We did um, our top three, our top four tech horror movies. Great, episode. and um, so we also fun. did um, our top four red movies, which. We're kind of going to go down this color theme. So like movies that you associate with the color red, movies that you associate with the color green. So our red episode will actually be coming up after the host episode. And then um, we're about to get back into our regular recording here pretty soon. I've actually got a meeting with everybody um, this this week to kind of talk about where we want to start back up and, and what movies we want to do and all that kind of stuff. We got some cool ideas for maybe throwing some trivia in with some movies and things like that. Um, I've got a pretty cool couple of ideas I want to do with uh, Commando and Universal Soldier. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, those those uh, I, I'll you know we've we've got a nice little text thread going on with the three of us now. So I'm sure you'll get the news before everybody else does on those. But uh, we've got some ideas we're working on for where we're going with the new recordings now that I'm settled in here in Georgia, and uh, hopefully we've got some fun things coming up in the future. But you can check us out at uh, VHS Files Podcast on all the social media. Drop us an email at vhsfilespodcast at gmail.com. And we typically release a new episode every Friday. We've been behind a little bit for the past couple of weeks, but we're about to get back on that horse. And you'll be able to listen uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Can't wait. So also check out The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, our good friend um, Sammy and Todd over there. Uh, Alex is getting ready to record his next episode for Friends with Cinefits. So that gives you time to go back and listen to the older episodes. Also check out especially our, the Akira one. It's really good. Yeah, that that uh, co-host he had, he was okay. He did good. I think I think he should get a show going. Um, <laughs> and check out our friends at Night of Living Podcast. That's another good one that we highly recommend. Um, what else, Brad? What else am I missing? Is that is that good? How much, man? All right, Josh. As always, thank you for being on, giving us your Monday evening. Thank you for pleasure. having me. It is an absolute pleasure anytime you come on the show because it's always a good discussion, a good debate, and um, I yeah, think we love. I, you, I don't. I don't know if this is exclusive or not, but I think I signed on for another episode coming up in the next month yeah, or so. Or... It's, a, yeah, we it's a secret. It's a big secret. We can't talk oh, about that. But yes, okay. you are coming back I... in a few weeks. <laughs> and I can't wait for that one. Man, talk yes. about, uh, oh, that that's going to be epic. Yep. Um, well, listen, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, evening. I hope your day is going swell and you have an awesome day. Thank you for downloading and listening to this show. Please leave us a review on iTunes or any place that allows you to leave a review. And as Brad always says, you know, share the episode. Um, reach out to us. Give us your recommendations and tell us what you think about Under the Skin. So with that, have a awesome day and we'll see you at the movies. Thank you. Have a nice day. It's over. <laughs>